Welcome to the Screencast, episode 133. I am Sean DeRager, and with me is Brad Henderson. I'm Bigfoot today. You just call me Big Daddy. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> Joining us is the director of Hunting Grounds and uh, a bunch of other shit. Writer-director. Writer, writer, yeah, writer-director. Writer, uh, writer of The Invoking, writer of The Device, and writer of Trauma. John Portanova, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? That trauma thing is so funny because that's a random short film I did, but it's like listed as one of my top credits on IMDb. They just like randomly generate those top picks. So I'm yeah. like, why am I best known for this like random 48 hour <laughs> film contest short? Yeah, that's why I said it. Like it's right there, right? It's like right in between the invoking and the device <laughs> is trauma. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, it welcome. Really suck. To- it really suck if it was trauma, right? Tra- yeah. <laughs> that would really blow. Totally. Good, th- good thing you changed some letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to be talking Bigfoot movies a little bit later on. We'll be definitely diving in to Hunting Grounds, a.k.a. Valley of the Sasquatch, which is a far better title, in my opinion. Um, but first, we need to thank some patrons. Some of you have dug deep into your pockets and uh, been... Very generous by becoming $5 patrons. So I need to give all of them a shout out. Last show, I mentioned Jacob Peterson Peeker, but it like cut out so you couldn't hear the full name. So Jacob, I apologize. Patterson? Patterson? <gasps> it's a Bigfoot it's reference. A Peterson. Oh. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, and then we have three more who became $5 patrons. Kuno Mogensen, Blair Regenwetter, and... Vizius. So thank you for allowing me to butcher your names during this podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys really dig the the late night podcast that we did. We just posted one. We have another one on deck to post. And that will come out this week. So... We're going to try to keep that up, right, Brad? Yeah, I was uh, I was a little concerned because I dig deep in my pockets, and I'm very generous. But... I don't donate any $5. I just play with myself. So do I become a patron? <laughs> uh, we're working on that. I'm working on that. I'm actually, I'm actually working on a way that we can give away, uh, be, people becoming a patron. So I'm working with patron on that or Patreon on that. I sent them an email. There's a bunch of other podcasts requesting that because it would be great if I at least can get the, uh, the other, all of the other hosts, uh, on. <laughs> to hear what we do because you're not even able to listen to the late night episode which is hilarious that is, that's actually my favorite part because i just hate my voice <laughs> <laughs> no that can happen in most industries i think i mean there's been so many times where i've had to like buy my own movies from like a foreign <laughs> distributor because they just won't send it to us <laughs> well i have an email out with patreon they've been very nice with the dialogue back and forth, I know that uh, the folks over at oneofus.net are running into the same issue with their patrons. They want to be able to give one away. or And even uh, Brian Salisbury, he was asking me to help edit uh, some things for him. And I couldn't even do that because I wasn't a patron. I couldn't hear their special content, content for the junk food cinema. So, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, but you know, Patreon has been really great. Uh, so thank all of you who've, who've donated and i mean i don't take that lightly it's you know it's it's 
you know, even if it's a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, that's your money. Like that's the money that you work your ass off for. So really appreciate all of you who have uh, donated to the show and, um, just want to say thank you guys. So thank you. And of course, uh, it's patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. You can also follow along on Twitter. Our handle there is scream underscore cast. And all the other links to all of our social media bullshit are over at thescreamcast.com along with all the other uh, news that Josh Obershaw puts up there and uh, oh. reviews. And we have uh, Bede Germain who's uh, doing some mm. shit for us. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty great. We have, a, we have an awesome cast of characters helping out with the site. And don't forget Splatcast that debuted and blew the roof off. (laughs) That's right. Yes, we joined forces with Splat House Productions (laughs) with Splatcast number one, the Mirror Mirror Legacy. It's up there right now. It's in our feed. If you've seen our, you know, if you subscribe to the podcast feed, you saw that pop up. A lot of really great, uh, really great responses. We'll be doing that probably, I guess, every few months or something like that. We'll, we'll be doing one of those. It was a lot of fun to do. And it's something I didn't have to edit, which is fantastic. I just, I just got to show up. I agree. <laughs> Give it all to Jim Rock. Uh, and of course, I mentioned one of us.net. You can hear our show there as well as all of their other shows. So huge thank you to them. Um, there's a link through our website if you want to subscribe to our show via one of us.net. And oh, we have a letterbox now. Letterbox. Yes. So I put a link up on the website there. To our Letterbox account, we will be keeping it uh, up to We're date. updating everything we talk about. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit, but you know, it's for the people. Exactly. You. I'm following right. you right now on Letterbox. Oh yeah, man! We got yeah, one we'll follower. Be, uh, Woo. <laughs> we'll be updating it and keeping it up to date uh, moving forward here. All right, enough of this bullshit. Let's jump into the show. We got to figure out what's on our doorstep. Holy cow, I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Pizza. <laughs> oh, shit. What's on your doorstep, John? Oh, Awesome. Glad I get to join uh, my favorite segment. I know you guys talked about it on a recent episode. There was some <laughs> confusion over, oh, do people want it shorter? Do people want it longer? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for me, and I think that that should uh, speak for everyone. I want it longer. I love long podcasts. Three-hour podcasts? I don't give a shit. I'm just going to listen to it whenever. Nice. I guess as long as the show keeps moving and doesn't meander. It's funny because, like, the longer the segment goes, like, I start sweating. <laughs> watching the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, because you know, I my biggest pet peeve is is podcasts that just kind of go off and just start, you know, bullshitting about stuff that's not related to the show exactly. And I try hard not to do that here. So I guess as long as we're staying on topic, I guess we're good to go. So I'm yeah, not going to worry about it anymore. Movies to talk about for sure. We just had what a five a five day poll on Twitter, yeah, and we had 91 votes. Uh, and it was 13 said yes, 13%, and 87% said no, that they do yes, not no want to cut it shorter. Yeah. So yeah. that speaks right there that uh, the majority of people um, like it. 
So let's keep it up. But we are trying to maybe cut the reviews of the movies that we talk about so we can fit more in and we don't ramble about, you know, Deepwater Horizon for 10 minutes. (laughs) So Very true. Um, All right. John, what is on your doorstep, man? All right. Well, the main thing I've been watching this week is I rewatched the Phantasm series because of the uh, box set that Wellgo USA put out. And this was something that was interesting, this whole like dueling Wellgo versus Arrow, which release are people going to get if they're region free? And when they were first announced, because Wellgo was very slowly doling out the information on their set, I was 100% Arrow. I was like, oh, Arrow's putting this out? Done. That's the one I'm pre-ordering. And it came with the sphere and the packaging wasn't the exact, you know, I like the plastic Blu-ray cases. It was kind of in the cardboard sleeves. So I was sort of like, okay, I don't love the packaging. I don't need a plastic, big plastic sphere. Agreed. But it's Arrow. It's going to have the best content. So I'm going to get this one. But then Welgo finally announced their features. And then soon after Arrow announced theirs and Welgo displayed their packaging where each movie is in a Blu-ray case. It has a reversible artwork with the original theatrical poster. And they both uh, shared a lot of bonus features in common, but they do have some exclusives. And the exclusives on the Welgo set were things like the first time there's been a director's commentary for Phantasm 3 and a new director producer commentary for part one and the bonus features, the exclusive featurettes seem to include more participants than the arrow one now granted i'm saying i'm not saying i'm never going to get the arrow one i'm that kind of completionist where i'll probably own both at some point but it'll probably be like the arrow re-release in a couple years or whatever where it doesn't have the sphere and it doesn't have the big book um but so right now i ended up airing on the side of welgo usa which i totally did not think when this first uh the battle commenced <laughs> but uh i think this welgo set is uh really well put together i'm excited there's rumors that they've acquired dawn of the dead i think that's 100% rumor but i'm actually now excited for welgo acquiring more of these horror kind of titles seeing as what they did with this phantasm box set specifically i never picked up their individual yeah. releases of the first one and the new one um, well, but they do good work with whatever they release. Like even if it's some obscure like Korean film or something like, like they would do like a cool slipcover. Like I mean, they obviously know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And that's when people started kind of giving them shit about Phantasm. I was like, yeah, they've only released you know a few things here and there as far as you know m- anything mainstream. But I was like, but their stuff's always really good quality. Like it's you know it's just, the releases are always solid. So why would they do any different on a horror title, you know? Yeah, I think it's just like people are afraid of change kind of thing. Um, but yeah, watching this box set, I haven't been able to dig into the features yet, but just the movies themselves still uh, really love this series. It's one of the only series where I would say there's not a clunker in the bunch for me. Um, and But it was really interesting. I think as I get older, as I rewatch movies, my opinions kind of change. Like when I was younger, if I would watch something like Halloween, it's a 10 out of 10. And every time I watch it, it's always going to be a 10 out of 10. And that's a bad example because <laughs> it still is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> but, uh, but now I've noticed as I've gotten older, like, oh, things are kind of fluctuating a little bit each time I watch them. And so the last time I watched the Phantasm series, maybe about five years ago, part three was my least favorite. Uh, I just didn't jive with the humor. I still didn't think it was bad. It was all right. Um, but, 
it was the one at the bottom of the list for me. Rewatching it, Phantasm Three is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I really like the uh, the new characters, which was something I used to give it shit about. Uh, but I think Rocky is actually one of the most entertaining characters in the series, and the kid didn't bother me rewatching it this time. So while it's not like oh now Part Three is the best in the series or everything, uh, now I sort of think the series like progresses as most do, where it starts at the top and just goes down a little bit with each installment. Um, but I still have fun with all of them, and I definitely recommend people picking this set up and giving them another chance. I think a lot of people uh, kind of give four, and like I said, I gave three a hard time. I think they get better every time you watch them. Yeah, no, I am uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of the first three. I think the first three are incredibly solid. Um, I mean, other than kind of doing the recasting on two, I think that's the only thing that I don't really care for. But um, I love how crazy they get and over the top. But I think, honestly, with 4, I just think that just flattens everything. I think it's dangerously boring. And um, I, I honestly, I prefer 5 over 4. And people were like, what? And I was like, yes. Yes, <laughs> 5 is way better than 4 to me. Just because there's a kind of a fan factor in 5. You know, everybody's coming back. I mean, it's... You know, everybody, you reunited, reunited people. It was Oblivion was 1998, you know? So, yeah. So, like, what? Like, they filmed this in like 2014 or 15, something like that. Well, they actually, the new one they filmed from like 2009 or something through yeah, 2015. Yeah, right, like, yeah. it was this big long filming yeah. process. Yeah. But uh, I definitely get what you're saying. I know that especially if you like the action, more of the this, the kind of style of two and three, five brings that back while also adding in an emotional story with uh, probably the first time since the original. Um, but what I like about four is I think it's really fascinating. It's actually kind of like the boyhood of horror movies. I love seeing the unused footage from part one. And so you're cutting from Michael Baldwin being 12 to being 32 and it telling that kind of story. And it is a much more like contemplative, darker story. It's sort of like the alien three of the series. And there's people that don't really love alien three, but it's one of those ones where I'm not going to sit here and say it's amazing. It's an okay movie uh, talking phantasm Four now, but it's worth watching. And I think it gets more interesting the more you watch it. And if you go in with different expectations, you are coming off of the action, bigger budget of two and three. And then all of a sudden you have a movie that has like a lower budget than the original, probably adjusted for inflation. And it only has like six characters in the cast and it's using old footage from the seventies, but it's all new old footage because you'd never seen it before. Um, so I just think it's a really interesting movie. Um, I especially really like the, uh, the ending, I think as far as a, uh, enigmatic wrap-up to the series i sort of prefer the ending of four but i like the movie of five so i wouldn't want to get rid of that it's still a fun time agreed very nice and so moving on from Phantasm, the only other thing that I watched recently was uh, for the first time since theaters, I watched Attack the Block. And this movie's awesome. I thought so in theaters. I just, I don't rewatch things a whole heck of a lot. And so I just finally got around to it. And this movie is still awesome. I think as far as uh, debut goes, uh, it's a shame that Joe Cornish has not directed anything since then. It's been like six yeah. years. This dude yeah. should be directing everything. I, I remember there's a rumor that he was in the talks for uh, Star Trek Beyond, and I thought that would have been amazing. Like, just oh, give man. this guy whatever, because he 
proved that he could do great things. I love the characters in Attack the Block. I love the energy, the way that it's written. I think there's an amazing sequence where the kids are all kind of running down the stairs because they're going to go fight the monster. And at each floor, one of them gets off to go into their own apartment. And so you sort of get a glimpse into the home life of each one of them in this really kinetic action-y sort of sequence, which is a great way to just tell you, you know, this one lives with his grandma. This one's kind of a poser who's like sort of telling his mom that he'll be right back. And uh, I loved all those little glimpses. It never stopped the movie at all. And it's just kind of action packed the whole way through. And for my money, it's like the best original monsters, like probably since Pumpkinhead. I love the aliens and attack the block. They look amazing. The idea is amazing. And uh, so definitely for whatever reason you haven't seen it or if you haven't watched it in a while, recheck it out. Agreed. I've always really, really thoroughly enjoyed that film. And, um, I don't know. It's just, you have bad characters, but great, you know, or bad, bad kids, but, you know, great characters in them. And then, the, you know, it's the anti, anti-hero and they, they become so great. And I, I don't know. There's like a sense, like uh, they redeem themselves in a way from being like kind of punks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I think everything about that film is almost near perfect. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I agree. It's kind of hard to believe that Joe Cornish didn't do something else almost immediately following that. I mean, other than probably helping Edgar Wright. And, uh, I think he was like one of the co-writers of Ant-Man or something like that. But, uh, yeah. And Tintin. So he's just had like kind of a writer. Right, so, I mean, he's keeping busy. It's just that, yeah, I want to see him in the director's chair again, because I mean, when I saw attack the block, what was that? 2011 or something? 2010. Yeah. Man, I remember watching that and I was just like, what the fuck? This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And on, I think it even was like my number, I think that was the same year as Drive. Uh, that, I think 2011 was off the charts for movies if I remember correctly. I think 2011 like was fucking solid as shit. Um, but yeah, fucking Joe Cornish, I know you're listening, man. Make another movie. He's one of our listeners, so I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, that's everything that's uh, on my doorstep. That's a short, short and sweet. Uh, What's on your doorstep, Sean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Uh, Well, I finally only have one. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I only have one thing I was able to watch. We're, you know, you guys don't want to hear about my boring life. It's been a crazy week and I haven't really been able to sit down and watch anything. Um, but the, I did crack open my Vestron collector series edition of Wishmaster mm. because, uh, uh, Paul Farrell, uh, listener, Paul Farrell was watching it and I was like and he was suffering through the the series the, he watched all four I think <laughs> and uh, I was like oh I need to crack mine open and I watched the first Wishmaster and you know you talked about this before Brad but it's a shame that this set was so expensive because these are not good movies you guys well I mean when you break it down it's not that expensive when you're paying like 30 some dollars for four movies but yeah, but still, but still. So I watched the first Wishmaster. I'm going to power through this, uh, the rest of the series because I don't think I've seen three or four, but I hear they're awful. 
Are they are they uh, directed by Chris Angel the Magician, or is that a different Chris Angel? I don't think they're directed by Chris Angel the Magician. <laughs> it says Chris Angel, but all I can think about is that that goofy uh, stuck in the nineties. I uh, mean, it could be. I I don't know. I mean, I've always hated uh, three and four. I I honestly I'm a I'm a fan of um, uh, the one and two. Uh, I believe. The guy that did here, let me look it up. The guy that actually did three and four, he made a sequel to The Fear. And if anybody remembers The Fear from the nineties <laughs> about the wooden dude that starts killing people, dude, The Fear is fucking legit as shit. And he made a sequel that fucking sucks so much. So this guy, basically, his job is to go in and ruin movies. <laughs> um but anyways yeah three and four are not very good i love the first and second one man i I, th- I think the first one's so good i want to rewatch the second one uh the first one has probably my favorite opening to any film it's just batshit crazy out the gate with that you're in like persia or somewhere and some obviously the the gin has uh released some shit and all the wishes have gone wrong all at once and it's just fantastic uh it's 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 great um so a lot of fun with that and it's you know it 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 is what it is wishmaster is what it is and it's one of those if you've seen them and you and you like at least the first two you know what you're gonna get with these um and the way the the guy talks all the time oh dude andrew divoff is like he's he's really he's he loves that character it seems obviously he played him four fucking times yeah he's having fun but yeah he's he's great he's a great character (laughs) actor and he's a good actor in general you know he plays a really menacing and brooding like presence on screen when he's and he's usually playing an evil dude um, he's not playing anybody really happy. He's usually, you know, an assassin or a side guy or, you know, the main villain. Um, I, I don't know if Andrew, I guess Andrew Divoff ever played like a good guy. No, cause he, I don't know, but he has that kind of glare. <laughs> I mean, he has that look. He, yeah, he has that glare. Yeah. He has that look. He has his eyebrows that it's just like, man, don't yeah. Andrew Divoff. I don't know, man. I think everything I've. Everything I've seen him in, he's he's always playing at least some sort of a, a seedy character. But but every time he pops up, but yeah. So Wishmaster fun, Wishmaster is a, is a lot of fun and some great practical effects. Some really bad CGI. Uh, this is back in the early days of CGI, but it's not distractingly bad like some other movies that I've seen. No, no. It's I mean, if you know you're watching a movie in the '90s, you're cool. Dude, I remember seeing fucking my mom took me to go see Wishmaster in um in the theater. And I was just I mean, I yeah, that's when I originally I still have my movie ticket for that. Um <laughs> but uh I know you laugh, but it's 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 true. I was uh I was a big fan of the movie when it came out. I was super excited because, you know, my mom, you know, she she was into horror, so when she found out like Kane Hodder was in it and Tony okay. Todd, like she was super stoked. Um, yeah, and we went to go see it together, and uh, we had uh, we had a great time. Um, and it, and it's and it's weird because it seems at the time, I mean, this I would have to look this up. I haven't 
researched this in quite some time, but I believe that the first Wishmaster did fairly well for a horror film like that in 1997 at the box office. I mean, it didn't make like a shit ton of money, but it did okay. Well, and they then, have to spawn three more sequels. Well, that, I mean, yeah, but shitty horror films all the time spawn more sequels, <laughs> but it's whether they're successful. I don't think the second one went to theaters, and I thought that it possibly could because it's not, it's definitely not bad. I mean, in a way, I guess it is, but like, I mean, we're all talking about Wishmaster, but I mean, I remember it that popping up at, um, at like Blockbuster, you know, because at that time when that came out, I mean, the inter- internet wasn't that prevalent and like we weren't like researching and waiting for trailers to drop or, you know, artwork or the countdown for the teaser trailer. Um, it was mostly like coming soon at Blockbuster at the front. I remember seeing that and I was like, Oh my God, mom, we got to do this. Um, <laughs> and she was super excited about it. I think after that, I kind of stopped caring. I saw Wishmaster three eventually and four and I popped it in and it was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, its budget was only five was five million, and it, opening weekend it made over six million. You know, it, but hey, so it made all its money back. For it made its weekend. money back, and I mean, like to, right God, today, really good. this to, today you would not get that movie in a wide release. Um, you would get it independently. It would probably do better because of the stars that were in it. People would probably be a little bit more amped up. Well, I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of films that actually say, hey, we have this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, <laughs> and then the movie just fucking sucks because it's just Cameo City and there's actually no story. But I, dude, Master Angus has, Scrim is – Yeah, no, it's – As a narrative. Dude, it has like horror icons like like crazy. I mean uh, Robert uh, Unglund's in the film, um, Kane Hodder. Uh, uh, I know Tony Todd is in it. Uh, Wes Craven mm-hmm. produced it. Um, yeah, I, well, uh, we're talking about Phantasm. Um, Reggie's in the film too. You know, nice. Re- Re- Reggie's in the film. Anyway, moving, moving on. Wow, we're spending okay. a lot of time with Wishmaster. Okay, uh, oh fuck. This. Hey, we're trying to keep this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're trying, you know, we're trying to keep it going, right? I guess so. We may be doing this on another podcast at some point, if you know what I'm saying. Possibly down the line with another podcast. Possibly, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, I, I'm pretty sure if we're recording episodes like every three months, we won't hit this until like ten years. <laughs> um, so anyways. But I- now, so the last thing I'll say about it is like uh the picture quality is okay. Like you, you mentioned this before. Like it's it's obviously an HD master. So if you seen this like I don't okay. think the DVD's better. Uh yeah, well, do you <laughs> have the that. DVD, Sean? But this has a shit ton of extras though. You have the DVD? Cuz so, I I put it in and I I watched it both. I used to. And yes, the DVD is better. Shut up. All right, moving along. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the floor now. Oh, and I'm done talking. Unless you want me to talk about La La Land. My wife and I watched La La Land. Mm, I think that and, uh, that movie's been seen by everybody. Uh, if more musicals could be discussed on the horror podcast, I think the audience would really <laughs> dig it. <laughs> hey, we'll see what people say about was, La La Land. Was ex- <laughs> La La Land was exactly what I needed at the time. I needed something nice, light, and fun, and it delivered. And 
you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a sprinkled donut of a film. You know what I mean? It's a nice, nice little, wow. You know, you're walking, you, you come into the office, it's Friday morning, it's early, you haven't had your second cup of coffee yet, you, you're just like, god damn, I fuck my life, I'm gonna end the work. You walk by, oh, someone brought donuts. Oh, look, here's a nice little sprinkled donut. I, I feel a little bit better now. And, you know, that's what La La Land is. To me. Wow. You made, <laughs> if anybody was on the fence, you just talked him out of it for the donut. <laughs> um, all right. So first up. All right, Brad, what 50 movies did you watch? Well, I don't have, I, I won't spend a lot of time on some. But anyways, um, <laughs> this is a label that I didn't know that really existed until uh, a couple, maybe last month. Um, it's called Film Detective, so I took a gamble on uh, one of their releases. Um, so Film Detective is a label that's going through uh, like vaults of very, very old films. Uh, this film that I'm speaking about um, is called The Vampire Bat. It was uh, in 19, made in 1933. Well, they got together with UCLA to actually do a restoration uh, to save this film just because of how old it is. And um, many people aren't doing that with uh, incredibly old public domain films, mainly because there's not a lot of money in it. Uh, so companies are afraid to touch it just because it's like the reason why none of these major companies we have have touched Night of the Living Dead. Um, because it's been released a million times, they're all afraid no one's going to buy it. Um, so Film Detective uh, released uh, The Vampire Bat, which stars Faye Ray, which you would know her from uh, King Kong. Um, wait, that, yeah, Faye Ray from King Kong. So they haven't actually put bonus features on um, on this uh, Blu-ray um, with commentary um, from film historians, which I love. I love when... Because obviously everybody from this film is past. Um, so what do you do for special features with, like, you know, the Kino classics and Film Detective, they're actually picking up film historians to talk about the film, to talk about the process of restoration, and just talk about the history of the film in general. Um, so I will say, I don't know if these are BDRs. So, um, because when you flip it, it does not look like a BDR, but it doesn't look like a normal disc either. So I'm kind of curious of... Uh, of what this really is. So, because BDRs are usually blue, correct? Or have like... I a, thought BDRs are usually black. BDRs are kind of a, a purplish. Yeah, purplish. I'm looking at one right now. See, this, this yeah, is not. Purple. This has just... It has like the normal like silver like look to it. Okay. But then there is a black... Not a black, but um, kind of a dark gray ring. In the middle. Well, yeah, that means it was definitely burned. Okay. If you see your ring. So, um, Vampire Bat on, uh, is on Blu-ray. The the restoration looks good. Um, it's, you know, an early vampire film, which is, there's a, like, the thing is with the stuff from, like, uh, you know, even, predating the you know the 30s like stuff with Nosferatu and um uh what's the 
filmmaker that made the first first horror film. Um, uh, George, uh, oh, fuck. Were you thinking of Melia? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, you just like the creepiness of the cinematography, like that stuff to me is a lot creepier than the stuff that we have with filled with music and dark atmospheres and the atmospheric and the great cinematography. Like to me, stuff that's coming out like Nosferatu, uh, and even like the vampire bat, some of that cinematography is a lot creepier to me. There's just something about it. Uh, that, that kind of creeps me out. But, um, it's a decent movie. It's, it's a little quirky. It's only 60 minutes. Um, it does have like this weird comedic, uh, timing with it in this horror film. Uh, the vampire is not very scary, but when he's moving, it is. Um, but it's just a fun little 1930s horror film, which, uh, you know, it's another thing that I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive into is, uh, with this label, they are going after, uh, older movies like this. Um, next up was, uh, Cinelicious is, uh, one of the newer labels out there. We've talked about a few of their films, uh, on the show with, uh, Giuseppe Makes a Movie, which was, uh, one of my favorite movies of, uh, last year. Um, they did, uh, Gangs of Wessapur, brought that to the screen. That movie is like fucking nine hours long. Uh, that is not a joke. I'm dead serious. I think the movie clocks in at six hours. Um, uh, Jesus. It took me like a week to watch it. I watched it like in one hour increments. You have to. It's on Netflix, I think, and it's like, presented as like a series um and then they did uh belladonna sadness with the restoration of that which was uh beautiful well they have this movie i i had no idea this existed um because it was main it's it's big cover on the back says lost for 50 years and i was looking at it and yeah this movie was known to be gone uh, destroyed probably in a film lab or just, you know, dis- disappeared off the face of the earth. So, uh, Warren Oates, uh, stars in, uh, a film called Private Property, um, which is a fantastic movie. Um, Private Property is about two dudes, uh, killers, basically, uh, played by, um, Amazing Warren Oates, who is always great in everything he does, and uh, uh, actor by the name of um, Corey Allen. I drew a blank. So the two characters, they are um, uh, bad dudes. They are squatting into a house that is vacant next door to a woman who is married, who lives at home, who just kind of relaxes all day, kind of like a housewife. Uh, Warren Oates' character finds out that his friend that he escaped with has never had a sexual interaction with a woman. So the plan is to get together and squat in this house and seduce this woman next door. Um, and it's pretty, pretty crazy for the time, I guess this came out, like 1960, this film came out and it's, I think it's released way before it's time. Um, this something seems like something that would come out like in the eighties or, you know, the sleazy nineties when we had a bunch of, you know, 
um, After Dark, My Sweet, Two Moon, uh, I guess After Dark, My Sweet, and Two Moon Junction was in the 80s, late 80s, but um, something along those lines. And it's just about this, uh, you know, story of these two guys, mainly almost Warren Oates is this wingman who tries to influence this woman to experiment. And it gets a little weird. There's also kind of this homoerotic relationship between Warren Oates and Corey Allen, where once mm. it actually starts to progress, where he, the Corey Allen's character is getting a little bit on the bang bang side warren oates kind of has this jealousy factor that comes in it's not too blatant on the screen but you can warren oates is such a fantastic actor you can feel that channel like through him just by his 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 presence and his and his look in his face you can tell that there's some sort of jealousy and it's not that he's wanting to do the bang bang with the woman it feels like it's stemming from their kind of bro relationship that they've created in uh, along with escaping and you know trying to hide in this house while trying to infiltrate this woman's life and just kind of use her it's very very odd it's weird but it's really fucking good and honestly one of the best performances by worn out so this needs to be seen more obviously because it's been underseen for so long and the transfer is fucking fantastic um it's a uh, it's another one of those UCLA things. Um, this is not film detective. This is Cinelicious. This is more of a legit release. It comes with the booklet and everything like that. But uh, doing this um, UCLA restoration process thing, so definitely pick it up. Um, yeah, that's a very cool movie. I was lucky enough to see that last year in a double feature. We have this kind of oh, okay, indie cool. theater here in Seattle called the Grand Illusion Cinema. And so when that restoration was traveling around, they did a double feature of Private Property and Cockfighter, which is the uh, Monty Hellman movie that he made with Warren Oates. And that movie is awesome as well. That's one that needs a Blu-ray release. I think the DVD from Anchor Bay has been out of print forever. But uh, that was a really cool, like if you want to see different sides of Warren Oates at you know, either end of his career, yeah, what was your what was your feeling on the movie if you since you've seen it? Like, how did how did you feel with the kind of the, that weird factor that plays in? Yeah, it's definitely interesting because of the time they can't explicitly tell you things, but so you get this sort of uh, you do get that longing between the characters, kind of in all directions. Um, like, is Warren Oates jealous because he likes the dude? Is he jealous just because now that he's kind of hooking this dude up and getting him in with the wife, uh, he wants some too, for lack of a better description? It's also obviously from that plot description very rapey and weird. Oh yeah, and it's even weirder because they couldn't explicitly like get into exactly what was going on because it was 1960. Um, but I liked it. I think, I mean, of that specific double feature, I preferred Cockfighter because it's like, it's this awesome Monty Hellman movie. It's actually probably my favorite Monty Hellman movie. But I uh, I definitely think Private Property is worth checking out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Because I, 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 I think, but if they did explain it and they did go into detail, I don't think the film would be as interesting. Because I like kind of that suspense of trying to guess exactly Who's feeling what and where is this relationship going between the three of them? Um, so mm -hmm. next up was Arrow's release of uh, Kautiki, El Mastro Immortal, uh, basically <laughs> the immortal monster. So this is uh, directed by Ricardo Freda, who is under another name named Robert Harmon who 
basically collaborated with an uncredited on the film Mario Bava um, with basically these uh, paleontologists um, come across this man who is uh, obviously frightened by something coming from this um, kind of ruins in this Mayan uh, um kind of deserted Mayan ruins. Uh, he comes back. He is um, scared to death. They go into uh, the Mayan ruins with a team and they de- do some diving into one of the, um, you know, kind of uh, little reservoir water pool lake type things in, in the, in the mountain uh, or cave. And they come across a blob uh, monster um, that looks really fucking cool, by the way. Apparently it was like, um, um, I want to say it was, it was looking it up. It's like fucking guts of animals or something like animal carcass. Just, um, <laughs> but anyways, um, it's okay. It's fun. Um, I mean, we are watching kind of a mixed, um, mixed, uh, you know, there's this um, kind of. I think it's. I think with having the collaboration of Mario Baba, that we're getting like two different movies here. Because Baba's side, it seems that he. It feels to me, being a Baba fan and watching pretty much all his all his films through uh, since the beginning of time until the end, and even his his son's films, seeing the influences there. Um, it seems that his main focus was kind of the monster and the interactions with the monster and when the monster starts to grow and kind of take over. Um, yeah, he had an effects background, so I think that's... Uh, okay, right yeah, that. and that's it, it feels very Bava-ish with that. And then uh, the other guy, uh, Ricardo uh, Freda, he, his is mainly the story focusing on the characters and stuff like that. So I think the collaboration works, but I feel that we're watching two different movies at the same time. Um, but anyways, it's mm-hmm. it's a decent, decent film. It's, uh, I think, just an HD or 2K restoration. Um, from, uh, the camera negative, which was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a fun film. I think you would really like, uh, like this one, John. Yeah, you know, I've actually uh, seen it. There was a time a few years ago where myself and my producing partner, Jeremy Berg, were going through all of Mario Bava's movies, and he has this whole kind of career of about maybe five movies before his first official directorial debut, where he was an uncredited co-director. And so, like, we watched all of those, and Caltiki was one of them, and I really enjoyed it. it to me, it seemed like it's an Italian version yeah, of the blob, exactly. and I believe, if you look at the years, it's actually, is it before the original blob? I, I can't This was 1959, recall. I Oh, okay. It was right after. after. So it's probably, this is the Italian blog ripoff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I had a fun time with Caltiki and I, uh, recommend the, uh, the Arrow release. I actually got it for my dad for his, uh, his birthday. He is who introduced me to Caltiki. That's so badass. I can't wait to watch it. It's on my, I was, I was going to try to watch it, Brad, before, before we recorded, but (laughs) I couldn't get to it. I can't wait to watch it. And then, uh, we have films like, uh, Schindler's List. We have great films by Steven Spielberg, um, and we talk about all the time, um, classics, you know, uh, Chinatown, we, we, singing in the rain. Um, 
But we need to talk about another classic, uh, Killzone 2, starting uh, Tony Jaa. So, Killzone 2 has no relation to Killzone, the original. Um, I has some of the same actors, but they play different characters. This is by far one of the best action movies I have ever seen. My favorite action movie is probably City of Violence, made in 2006. But this movie, like, we're going apeshit over John Wick and John Wick 2 and The Raid and The Raid 2. We love our action films. Um, so it's kind of jarring to me because everybody's talking about um, the other film. Tony Jaa wasn't in Headshot. It's the – I because I'm getting the two confused. Um, it's the guy that's from The Raid. Um, I can't remember his name, but anyways, there's a movie coming out called Headshot that people are going to fucking flip. They already are. It's playing it fast. People love Headshot. I'm not that big of a fan, but everybody, no one's fucking talking about Killzone 2. This movie has everything. Uh, I like the raid. I love the raid, but the raid is strictly just a full force action film with guns and violence and nonstop fighting, which I'm a hundred percent on board with. We have John wick. That is about a guy that takes revenge after people kill his dog. I'm totally 100% okay with that. Cause if anybody killed my puppies, it's not just about the dog though. It's it not is, just about the dog. It, People always default to that. No, no, no. The dog was a gift, or him and his wife got that together. Got that together. That was the thing they shared. Then she passes away, and that's the one thing he kind of has yeah. alive. That's like with her. So once his wife, it's, not, is, it's like so. Yeah, no, about a dog. His, People are like, oh, it's just bad movie. They kill his dog and he kills everybody. It's like no, there's a lot more to that. Um, it's John you know? Wick. Kill not really. Dog. There's not a lot to John Wick. They kill his dog. <laughs> No, but as far as like, it's not just because it's his dog. Is there's a lot more with that dog? That's all I'm saying. No, no. They, they kill. They kill. And then he, <laughs> dude. No, I get what Sean's saying. It was the best dog on earth. It's super. Um. Yeah. So, but that's the plot device. I mean, right, we have fine. in a valley of violence where uh, Ethan Hawke is traveling on the back roads of a western town and some gangsters come along and kill his fucking dog and he goes on a rampage trying to kill John Travolta. Like, that's the plot of fucking In the Valley of Violence. So we have these really cool action movies, but there's nothing really behind it as far as characterization and maybe some intricacies on storylines. Um, there's nothing special about John Wick in yep. the story. Absolutely nothing. It's just fun. It's a very small, cool little device that's quirky that works. Yeah. Yeah, there's not enough uh, movies. There's no movies where it's uh, someone's cat and they uh, – Just because no one gives a fuck about killing cat. a cat. <laughs> <laughs> we just dropped like every fucking listener right now. Um, I've had cats shit. all my – Sorry, Brad. Brad didn't mean that. Brad didn't mean that. I've had Brad cats all my life. I, I I love like Scott Weinberg. Like just is now on a Twitter rant <laughs> against our show right now. So um, no, I, I I love all animals. Uh, it, I'm I'm obsessed with animals in general. So anyways, getting off topic as we talked about uh, Killzone Killzone <laughs> Two, which it has amazing cinematography the editing is, editing is perfection the choreographed scenes the fight scenes and the camera work revolving 
around the fight scenes, like fucking going in a circle, going up like on cranes and going down. I mean, these fight scenes are grand. I mean, there's people fighting on the top stairs of a building and the bottom stairs, and it's just one continual cut of this camera floating between fights going up and down. There is a fucking prison riot where we have hundreds of people fighting, and this camera does this one fucking long take of going up and down because the lead, like the lead bad guys upstairs and the, and the good guys downstairs and they're both fighting these prisoners and, and trying to do all this shit. But yet the camera is getting all this fucking action overhead and it's just the editing is incredible. It has such a really quirky and fun melodrama storyline that isn't very convoluted at all. Um, it just has to deal with a cop who has a sick kid who's trying to find a donor who the one donor is getting uh, mixed in with some bad people and he's kind of a good guy but a bad guy at the same time and so he finds out and he's a police officer and he's a, the other guy's a police officer and they're just trying to save this fucking little girl it is fucking incredible um it's got some really cute scenes with kids with uh you know the relationship between the daddy and the daughter um, but also it is fucking jaw breaking these fucking fight scenes. Uh, Tony Yaw is going fucking full force in this movie and it does have action elements to where it's kind of the, I don't know what you call the kind of form of filming with the martial arts where it's unbelievable as far as like swinging through the air and stuff like that like Mortal Kombat-esque because it, it does have that that's the only downfall I know that people didn't like like Wushu like yeah, like, yeah, yeah like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon like, yeah. they call it Wushu? where like they can kick like 10 people when they're like in the air um, that type of thing yeah. but it doesn't really focus on that it's not it's not those fight scenes all the time it's just every once in a while someone will do something crazy but um, it's so fucking good Watch Killzone 2. Uh, if you love action movies, you will not be disappointed. Um, next up is Criterion's release of um, uh, 2016 uh, documentary uh, called Camera Person. It is um, the directed um, and basically doesn't – well, it doesn't really star because she's the camera uh, operator. She's a cinematographer. Uh, Kirsten Johnson. So Kirsten Johnson has been a cinematographer I think 25 years uh, between a bunch of documentaries. Um, so Camera Person is a, a collection of footage that she put together over a span of 25 years um, going from um, you know Bosnia to uh, Nigeria to even the U.S., uh, even filming her children and her family. Um, just a collection of behind-the-scenes footage that didn't make it into the actual docs. Um, and it's just a bunch of random footage. It doesn't really flow into one another. It's just clips. But that said, it's amazing how we – I mean – if you do a little research and you know what was happening in Bosnia in you know early 2000 and you know um, you know just the, the events that are occurring that she's actually filming in, I mean you have some um, 
you know, exposition on those events that are leading up to why she's actually recording the documentary. But just going in blind, not watching or knowing anything prior to what she is filming um, as far as what she's documenting, it's amazing that we can watch a three-minute clip of an interview and feel so much for somebody that we have no idea what they're going through or who they are. It's just what she's able to capture on camera. It's it's truly fascinating that, um, I mean, she really has an eye and um, able to catch something in such a, a dramatic light with just it, it pulling you in and feeling for somebody and bringing tears to your eyes in a matter of just seconds without actually knowing what is actually happening. Um, she's a- a- able to kept capture some great emotions and capsulate uh, some of these uh, just people that, um, that just are going through uh, something terrifying or something so horrible or even happy, uh, capturing, you know, the moments with her children, her twins being... Um, uh, just playing together and, and living, you know, a, a great life. And she's out there in the field, like on the front line, 25 years, you know, in dangerous situations. I mean, going to, uh, Guantanamo Bay to, you know, dealing with Al Qaeda and at, uh, at times in the, in the dock. Um, but yeah, it's just truly fascinating little, piece of uh of her world uh put together um like i said it's not in a documentary form it's just a collection of clips but it's amazing how it moves and how great um or how amazing she is to capture all these things so check it out if you want something artsy and fartsy um next up was (laughs) the devil lives here by art exploitation um it's okay. <laughs> um, it has some really cool moments. It most here's the thing about the devil lives here. It's the best worst movie to come out if it came out in the nineties. Um, it has such a nineties feel, and I think that's because of how uh, cheap it is production wise um it has kind of a cool little story floating behind it but it's just such a small little piece of story that it's not enough to keep the movie going even at clocking in at what 80 minutes 80 minutes like i love movies that are short but when your 80 minute movie feels like three and a half hours that's not a good thing you know (laughs) um but it does have some really cool moments, and the ending is really good. But it just—it's one of those things where, you, you know, it's all about. It's not about money. It's not about your. Uh, I mean, it is about your script, but you got to work on your fucking pacing. Like pacing is everything when it comes to films. Like you need to keep once you you know, hit that momentum. Once you hit that great opening, you got to keep that momentum flowing. You know, you, you got to keep that drive. I mean, just take note from fucking John Carpenter's Halloween. I mean, the, the, the pacing in that film is just so incredible, you know? Um, and it's just, it's a shame when you have kind of a cool story, cool concept, great ending, decent characters. And then your movie just kind of is like, eh, it feels like it's fucking 20 hour movie. Not good. I mean, the movie is decent, but it's just, I, I, I hate seeing that happen. 
But if you're into like slow burns um, and devilish things, then uh, Devil Loops here might be for you. Um, next up, real quick, was Full Moon's releasing of Fists of Fury, which I was completely devastated uh, watching. Um, this is produced and directed <laughs> by Charles Band. Um, what he directed is he directed uh, Cynthia Rothrock standing on a mat talking about uh, action films. Um, and it was probably 10 minutes of footage. And it's just what it turns out to be is a fucking wow. trailer uh, movie where it just shows trailers of movies. Fuck you, Charles Band. But I tell you what, <laughs> Cynthia Roth. I mean, I, I I've stood up for Charles Band countless times on the show, so I can say that. Um, even though he is kind of he is a terrible businessman and tries to steal from everybody. Um, but I tell you, man, Cynthia Rothrock is still a fox. Oh my gosh, she is so pretty. Um, she's so, I mean, she's, she's got it. And she does a couple, you know, kung fu moves. Um, <laughs> since we're talking about Full Moon, uh, I watched the fifth installment of the Killjoy franchise called Killjoy or Killjoy's Psycho Circus, which is a direct sequel, uh, of, uh, Killjoy Goes to Hell. Um, this movie started off, I think, in 1999 or 98. Um, it was an urban horror film uh, where a clown goes around killing people at a warehouse. But there is kind of a demonic presence behind it. And then they started making sequels that were going absolutely crazy. Killjoy's in space at this point in this film. <laughs> and uh he has of he has course. a group of clowns with him um he has a game show uh on this uh spaceship um it is it is nuts totally gonna i tell you what it, here's the thing is that the movies aren't great by any means um but i tell you what watching the first film watching such a low budget urban horror film set in such a tiny little one location with a demonic clown killing people being a serious movie at times becoming such a comical uh killjoy becomes the hero and he's the lead now and you're kind of cheering him on in this really goofy sense um played by uh the first film is not the same two through uh yeah two through five they have the same guy playing um, the clown, which actually turns out to be Trent Haga, who is the writer of uh, Dead Girl that came out in like 2007 and oh. uh, Cheap Thrills. Wow. He's the writer of Cheap Thrills. Um, and he also wrote and directed a movie that's coming out uh, that Travis Stevens produced called um, uh, 68 Kill. Um, so Trent Haga plays Killjoy uh, in the in these films. Yeah, no, and he he's uh, done work for Troma. He wrote um, uh, Toxic Avenger Four, um, and he's uh, and he's and he's worked around Full Moon. I mean, this guy's pretty much everywhere. But it's just it's really crazy that he's a writer and director. He has these hit movies, uh, and he makes fun of himself. Um, you know, in the film. 
you know, uh, Trent Haga plays Trent Haga along with him playing the clown and the clown, you know, Killjoy is interviewing him. And he's like, Oh, so you're some fucking Hollywood type that starts off small and then does some Hollywood movies. And did he just make fun of himself? And it's, and I actually, if you know Trent Haga and his past and the surrounding movies that he's worked with, Killjoy Cycle Circus is pretty fucking fun. So anyways, um, uh, I'm trying to read the synopsis, and this is ridiculous. He starts a web yeah, series? Yeah, it's like a game show, TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, dude. It's, it's fucking crazy. Like, I mean, people are like, oh, man, Jason's, like, at a camp, and then he's, like, in a spaceship. Whoa. And I'm like, have you fucking seen Killjoy? <laughs> like, he's at a warehouse killing people. Then he's on the streets killing people. And then the motherfucker literally goes to fucking hell. Gets booted out of hell into space and has a web series. That's way crazier than fucking <laughs> Friday the 13th. So, um, and last but not least, I, uh, what were you going to say, Sean? No, no, I, I, I love that horror, fr- when, when horror franchises go to space, I say just bring it on. If, if you, like, Fast and Furious needs to be in space by now. If, I think if you go past like five or six, get that franchise to space as soon as possible. Oh, God. Don't encourage, don't all about encourage it. people. Um, <laughs> all about it. So uh, next up is uh, my Wild Eye segment. One film um, is a found footage film called Creature Lake. Um, apparently, found, uh, Wild Eye movies, I had a couple listeners tell me because they were like, hey, we want to watch that Wild Eye movie you're talking about. But, you know, it's not you can't find everything on Amazon and sometimes they're not in stock on their website apparently is what I've been told which I don't know if that's true um, but apparently a lot of them are streaming on Hulu oh. so if you have Hulu you can watch some of these Wild Eye movies I talk about because I even though I have a couple people making fun that have never watched Wild Eye <laughs> releasing uh, movies so, Creature Lake is a found footage film about a bunch of friends that go to a um, kind of a, a sacred little tribal area to go camping, get some bro time. Turns out there is uh, a, a creature that lives in the water that takes that can take form of a uh, a female. Um, so they are being bros. They awaken a creature, and that shit goes crazy. Um, hey, bro, I was just trying to fuck this train. It turned into a, it turned into a creature. Like that? I, I think we need to write to the writers and directors and refilm or remake this movie so you can actually do that. Like that would make the. Hey, yo, see this? Look at this pile of moss. I'm gonna fuck it. Hey, you wanna fuck this pile of moss too? Hey, yeah, let's fuck the pile of moss together. Yeah. Oh shit, it's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> That, I I, ha- I love that it's almost Mark Wahlberg doing uh, <laughs> who wants to fuck everything. Uh, this could be the funniest thing you've ever said on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, do you want to uh, write a bro horror yeah, movie with me? Oh my god. I think we could have a hit. There's the funnest to make fun of. <laughs> Dude, I'm crying right Whoa. now. Uh, that does not happen in this movie, but goddamn, I wish it did. 
Um, but uh, the the one thing I can give credit to a found footage film that's so that's so silly and 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 low budget is that it actually uses the found footage d- device somewhat properly. Um, you know when shit's going down, they're like fuck it, you know. Um, but uh, it 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 tries to create kind of this mythology, and it, the film does try. Um, which I give I can't give credit to a lot of found footage movies for even doing. They just can't do it. But anyways, uh, watch Creature Lake. It's I know that one's streaming for sure on Hulu. So that's it. Awesome. Very nice. All right. Let's take a quick break and jump to news with Josh Obershaw. And uh, we'll come back talking to John Portnova about Valley of the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Hunting Grounds. But it sounds better as Valley of the Sasquatch. I'll never let that go. I'm going to hold my torch high, John. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fine. (laughs) And our news correspondent out in the field joins us, Josh Obershaw. What's up, good sir? Hey, how's it going over there with you? (laughs) Going good. Can't complain. Uh, I wish I was sounded a little bit more chipper, but I'm dealing with allergies right now, so y'all just need to hang tight with me <laughs> and just bear through this. Suck it up, son. That's right. Literally. Suck that spot up through your nose and spit it out. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I've, I've noticed a lot of announcements coming through, so uh, what's what's going on? Uh, we got quite a few Shout Factory announcements, and I know this is kind of a controversial one, and it involves three John Carpenter titles that are getting steel books this summer. And those titles are going to be Escape from New York, The Fog, and They Live. Now, they're pretty much the same as the collector's editions as far as bonus feature-wise, but they all have uh, the Cool artwork from Nathaniel Marsh, who did Carrie and the Thing Deluxe packages. So uh, there's going to be, how many of these? 10,000 each that are being produced. And once they're gone, that's it. And the official street date for those are going to be August 1st. And if you get them directly from Shout Factory, you get a 28.5 by 16.5 rolled lithograph of the new artwork. Ooh, that artwork's pretty sick. And it's, I mean, they did like, what, 10,000? So, I mean, it's limited, but I mean, there's enough for everybody who wants one. I I saw that number and I was like, whoa, slow down, guys. It's, you know. <laughs> you don't see a number that big anymore. It, when it comes to like limited stuff, it's usually between the one and 3,000 range, 5,000 if you're lucky, but 10,000, yeah. I haven't seen that in a while. And for me, I, I mean, I already own They Live and The Fog. I don't own the Blu-ray of Escape from New York. So if I was to pick one of these up, that's the one I, I would get the one that I, I don't have. This may be a little outside the wheelhouse, even though it's kind of noirish, like neo-noir. But um, we're getting a 20th anniversary edition of Fargo, courtesy of Shout Factory. And this is also going to be a steelbook, too. Again, limited to ten thousand copies. Yeah, I think it's a re—it's just a reissue of the last release of of Fargo. 
nothing new of, of note. So it's if you want to upgrade to Steelbooks here, here's your here's your chance. If you if you're a Steelbook fan, you know, but not much more than that. Yeah, it's one I don't own, so I would pick it up. But if you already have it, then yeah, yeah, save your money. I've bought Fargo so many times; it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a good one. Oh, this is going to be a fun one for sure. I haven't seen these movies in such a long time, and I can't wait to check them out. Uh, Canon Films produced uh, a movie called Hercules, starring the Incredible Hulk <laughs> himself, Lou Ferrigno. Yes. And Shout Factory is going to be putting not only that one out, but also the sequel, The Adventures of Hercules 2, this summer. And that's specifically August 22nd. Now, the extras are still in progress, so we don't have those yet. But you could already pre-order both of these. And a couple of quick little ones from Shout Factory. They're going to be putting up The Manster from 1959 on August 29th. And also on August 29th, they're going to be putting out this 1991 film Time Bomb starring Michael Bean and Patsy Kensett. Again, bonus features are still in the works. So we'll get back to you on that. That one looks fun, man. I'm excited for that one. Oh, yeah. Any more, any Michael Bean... Uh, in my collection is worth it. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be all the news from um, from Shout Factory. At least all the big news. So we're going to move on to a little update I got for you guys. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, the uh, the three-disc limited dual format that Citus Spectral are going to be putting out. That has been delayed until June 19th. And the reason why is because of quality control. There are Restarting the production about that. They found a couple of glitches, so they're pushing it back to make sure you guys get a really good copy of this one. And apparently, I guess it's still up for pre-order now. There's only about a thousand made of each design. There's three designs, as we talked about before. So be on the lookout for that on June 19th, for those of you who have already placed your order for that. And speaking of June 19th and Cinespectral, guess what? Hell Comes to Frogtown is coming to Blu-ray. Starring the legendary Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. This is going to be a two-disc set. There are two designs, a thousand copies each. And it's going to be, for the first time on Blu-ray, in correct original aspect ratio, the 1.85 to 1 and 1080p. Uh, There's going to be a 40-page fully illustrated booklet. (laughs) Check this out. The media book features green metal foil on all three movie title logos and double partial spot gloss on company logos, credits, and artwork. So this is going to be fancy schmancy, especially for something like Frogtown. Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's see. What else do they have? Yeah, it's got the usual stuff. I mean, trailers, whatnot. But <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. And this is also up for pre-order, too, if you go to... Movies2Shop.com. You can order both Elvira and Hell Comes the Frog Town. Sweet. Oh, guys, you are going to love this. Do you remember a movie called Rawhead Rex? <laughs> I remember the cover. I've never actually seen it, funny enough. I actually saw it on home video when I was nine years old. I thought it <laughs> I thought it sucked. And if a nine-year-old monster kid thinks a monster movie sucks, <laughs> that tells you something. Well, Kino Lorber, of all people, are going to be putting this out on Blu-ray. Not only putting it out on DVD and Blu-ray, but they're also bringing it to theaters this summer. Wow. Yeah. 
4K restoration. <laughs> Raw head Rex. These are sometimes we live in. That, that's all the details we have for now. We don't have an exact date or um, show times, which cities this movie is going to be playing. And we don't have a release date for the uh, for the Blu-ray or DVD yet. But yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye on this one. And I'm very curious to see what my thoughts are on this movie some 30 years later. See what else we got. Uh, oh, yes. Code Red. How can we forget about Code Red? They're like the, they're like the drunk uncle that just keeps showing up. <laughs> well, what else? But they got some pretty great stories, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Like uh, One Dark Night, that's going to be coming out pretty soon. That's uh, coming out this summer, actually. And they're also putting out City of the Living Dead, the Lucio Fulci movie. And they're, huh. and they're using the alternate U.S. style, Gates of Hell. That's an interesting one because I know Blue Underground has had City of the Living Dead for a long time. Before that, it was Anchor Bay. So I don't know how this is going to be different from – it's going to be a 2K scan, details about bonus features – Still up in the air, but it's got kind of a cool new artwork too. It's almost kind of Screen Factory-ish in that it has a lot of purple in the artwork. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Arrows released this. I mean, I ha- I have the Blue Underground Blu-ray. I mean, I'm not Jones to buy this at any time soon. I've bought this. You know, I've had this on DVD, but I mean, it's one of those things. Like, if you haven't grabbed it yet, you know, and I mean, Code Red's been doing good work with their transfers. That's the one thing. Like, Bill's a bit crazy, but the one thing I can say is the discs that I've bought have been always been good. Like, they've always looked damn good for the being the films that they are. That they are. Like those Italian uh, movies that I bought. Um, like they looked better than the Italian movie by the same director released uh, by Kino. Uh, Striker was re- released by Kino, and then like. Um, all these other ones were released by Code Red, and the, the Code Red ones looked fantastic, like head and shoulders above how the Kino transfer looked. So I don't, I don't know, man. He's he's got some good people doing uh, the work, so you can't fault him for that. That's good. Maybe I need to pick up one of these up because I still haven't bought a Code Red Blu-ray yet. So they're getting easier. They're still pricey, but they're getting yeah. a little bit better with uh, with Ronin flicks. They're still just below 30 bucks but he is offering free shipping. It's like 24 to 26 bucks is the price point still. So that's the thing like if you can already if you can find the City of the Living Dead on Blu-ray but that blue if that blue around Blu-ray is still around yeah, it like grab you know grab that like why you know it's probably cheaper but if you you know, if you want to grab it from Code Red, great. But you know, I always for Code Red, I look for the kind of batshit crazy things and the movies that are, you know, not going to be released by anyone else. That that's the fun of of Code Red because they're releasing just the the bottom of the barrel, but they're doing <laughs> but they're doing great work with it, and they're always always entertaining crazy films. So yeah, like I say, it's gotten easier. Well, they, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they they launched the Ronin flicks. So am I. I mean, in the case of City in the City of the Living Dead, yeah, I'm just gonna get the Blue Underground Blu-ray. In fact, a better plan is I'm gonna get this three pack that has not only City of the Living Dead, oh. but also what are the other ones? The New York Ripper, 
and the other one is escaping. Oh yeah, yeah, House by the Cemetery. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. That's like that's probably that's running like twenty five bucks, right? Yeah, pretty much. So for the same exact price, you could be getting three Fulci movies if you don't have yeah. them already. Yeah, so, I don't know why he. I don't know why he licensed City of the Living Dead. It just made no sense. But whatever. Right. But yeah, man, right. get that three pack. That three pack is that's that's worth the money right there. Totally. Yeah. So as far as like color red Blu-rays, I'd rather wait. I'd rather take your lead and just look for like the really obscure, crazy shit, such as such as what the Boneyard. Oh man. This is a 1991 horror black comedy starring Phyllis Diller and Norman Fell. Uh, he said on their Facebook page that they're thinking about using the poodle cover, which is fantastic. Uh, if you've look, if you look this up, the poster, there's a like monster poodle oh, on the original poster art and he, it sounds like he's leaning towards using that, which is great. Wow. <laughs> oh man. This, see, this is the kind of stuff I love discovering. Like, even if it's horrible, like you at least are going to have a fun evening, uh, checking this flick out, you know? I mean, oh, yeah. I looked at some of these pictures. It, it, look, it looks bonkers. Yeah, especially if you get a crowd of people together at your house. And just, yeah. Yeah. That's what these films are, basically. Uh, they were also working on another one called Great Alligator. So, yeah, I, I'm on the Banana Man of Code Red Facebook <laughs> right now, and I'm seeing all this stuff that they're working on for the Great Alligator Blu-ray. I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out. It's probably later this year. So, yeah, that's your usual... Oh, wait, there's another one. It's called The Terror Within 2, starring R. Lee Ermey. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I don't have... Yeah, he has a lot of stuff in the works. He just needs to give us some release dates. I'm still waiting on The Church. Oh, and The Sect. Yeah. I, I mean, is it 88 films that's putting out The Sect? I don't know, but yeah. I'm waiting for those two. Because I still have the church on DVD. Very cool. nice. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen them, and I've just, I've just been holding off because I knew, knew they were going to be getting Blu-ray releases. So, Oh, the church is a lot of so, fun. Right on. Oh. Uh, anything else? So, yeah, you said The, the Terror Within 2 with R. E. R. Lee Ermey and Stella Stevens. Yeah. That looks great. I have, have I seen that? I never knew there was a terror within two. I'm guessing. I'm guessing this is another movie that's being that, that's using the terror within. Yeah, it has so to be. So it's like an in name only sequel, kind of like how. <laughs> what was it? Oh yeah, Mario. Oh no, not Mario. Lumberto Bava Shock was released here in the U.S. as Beyond the Door Two. It's kind of that same thing. Gotcha. I'm assuming. All right, Sean, the last thing I have for you is going to be from Arrow Video. As soon as we got done recording the last segment, Arrow announced its July slate. <laughs> so we're going to start with the UK-only title. That's going to be Necromantic 2. That one's coming out on July 3rd in the UK. Yeah, it's a it's a re-release. They had a special edition one with you know cardboard or whatever, uh, lenticular case and stuff, but... Uh... This is just kind of the standard release. Right. Uh, here's another UK title. This was actually one I talked about, 
I don't know if it was the last segment or the, the one before that, the uh, documentary Future Shock, which is about 2080, which is the anthology comic book from uh, Britain. Nice. And what else? The last UK title, Psycho 2. <laughs> that one comes out on July 31st in the UK. As far, okay, their one and only US only title is, get this, Reanimator. Oh, baby. Just when I thought that I've bought Reanimator enough, they go ahead and do this. And I think the last time I bought Reanimator was like a second sight, uh, from the UK steelbook. Cause it had kind of like, not really the work print, but it had another another cut on there and that's why I got it now here here Arrow is giving us this gorgeous thing it looks so good that's gonna look so good <laughs> next to the Bride of Reanimator set that I have damn them damn them but yeah speaking of that version uh, it's gonna be included in this limited edition it's a limited edition exclusive and it runs about 105 minutes and it also has something called A Guide to Look Love Craftian Cinema, brand new feature at looking at the many various cinematic incarnations of writer H.P. Lovecraft's work, and plus it has a lot of the um, a lot of the bonus features that were on like the Anchor Bay DVD, which I still have. But oh god, it just looks so good! I can't resist. It's a 4K restoration of the unrated and the and and the longer version of the movie, by the way. Nice. Also, uh, okay, we're moving on to the UK-US titles. These are going to be, you know, available on both sides of the Atlantic. This one, I thought this was mentioned earlier, the movie Pulse, the Japanese film. Yeah, they they announced it, and then they had a delay. So they delayed it, and now they're basically saying, all right, we're good to go. It's it's going to be released. Because I, I pre-ordered this with Mike at Grindhouse Video, like, I swear, last year. And it just never, I never heard anything about it. And then... Arrow had announced through Facebook or somewhere that they were putting it on hold for a little bit, and then now we're finally going to get it in, in July. Cool. Well, the new release date is going to be the July 10th in the UK and the 11th in North America. Now, this one was supposed to be a UK-US title, but now it looks like it's just going to be UK only, and that's uh, Stormy Monday, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Sting, Sean Bean, and Melanie Griffith, but it's still going to be region-free. So you yeah, this yeah, this will be the same type of thing that happened. If you remember with Blood and Black Lace, they ran into some licensing issues or something like that. I, I don't know the specifics. It sounds like the same sort of thing happened here. Uh, they've already like this is all these discs have been sent to the printer, right? They've they've been sent to be created and duplicated. So the region locking is not going to change. It'll still be a U.S. and U.K. region playable so i would suggest i ordered mine straight from arrow video i had some credit from the last big purchase i made from them from the house uh collection and i basically got this for like three bucks from them it'll be on amazon uk which uh which is pretty good too the pricing is generally pretty good and so you'll get the same exact thing. It's just you have to have it uh, shipped directly from the UK. I would suggest ordering from Arrow directly because they package it so much better than Amazon does for overseas shipping. Nice. Little tip. 
Cool. And if on a lot of these little little buying tip, because if if you want to save money, a lot of the times, especially in some of these bigger sets, um, and if they're you know U.S. or U.K. or even Canada. Look at the shipping, look at the pricing and everything, compare through each of the Amazon sites, compare directly from Arrow versus the retailers out here. Sometimes you'll find that the UK version is a good ten dollars, depending on how big the set is, you know, five to ten bucks cheaper even after shipping. So kind of shop around with those. It's a little trick that we learned some of these bigger box items. Um I think I got, I mean, I got Hellraiser, the UK version, for like 50 bucks. It's ridiculous. Wow. And then it was, then when they finally announced for the US version, it was like closer to 100, you know, but it's the same stuff, same exact, you know, same exact discs. Mine are region locked, but I'm saying like, if you see a dual format one and it's a big box set, check the price. Um, also, like my house collection set was like ten bucks cheaper than the house one and two set that was released in the U.S. Oh wow! So yeah, so number one is good to be region free, but uh, number two, always you know, I mean, collecting gets expensive. You got to make these decisions. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It'd be nice if we can just, you know, have uh, have Mike from Grindhouse send us everything, but sometimes we have to be a little bit. Uh, choosy with the higher priced items generally though i will say to his credit mike over at grandhouse video his pricing is awesome like he's Agreed. competitive like almost to his own detriment <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude charge me a few bucks more make a better uh you know so you have a better margin there but no nah, he's a good guy he keeps everything priced uh, pretty decently all right rant over oh that's fine i mean that's a good tip to have especially with the bigger sets like uh this next uk us title it's a box set of new battles without honor and humanity i gotta watch the old one now first i've never even i had no idea that there were there was a new run of these films no i neither did i (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of a that's kind of a surprise and also for this, uh, oh wait, what, first of all, let me get you some release dates here. Okay, the 17th and 18th of July, that's when that box set is coming out. And for Reanimator, that one is coming out on, scroll faster. Yeah, July 25th. But now it looks like uh, Arrow is going to be doing something new. They're going to be adding a new twist to their lineups. They're going to be putting out books. And the first book that they're going to be releasing in July is called Unchained Melody, the films of Mieko Kaji by Tom Mess. And that's going to be coming out on July 31st. Another book they're putting out on July 31st is called The Blair Witch Project by Russell Gong. This book takes a trip back in time to the 1990s to uncover the history of the production of the film, including a unique making of and its path to success. And finally, also on the 31st, you've got Ghost in the Shell by Andrew Osmond. Anime expert Andrew Osmond focuses on the original 1995 film, tracing the paths of the Japanese talents who came together to make it. Nice. All three published by Arrow Books. How cool is that? 
And they're the same size as the Blu-ray cases, apparently. Yeah. So if you want to fit these on the shelf next to your movies, they will fit right in. Why not? That just sounds awesome. <laughs> Yeah, this is that's an interesting little uh, experiment they're doing with these books. I'm excited to check them out. The Ghost in the Shell, especially. I need to yeah. take a look at that one. But it looks gorgeous. Totally. So there is your Arrow lineup for July. Awesome. All right, Sean. That's all I have for you this week. All right, man. I'm sure I, the the day this is released, you all will be uh, following Arrow, and because and, and, Arrow will be announcing a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff. So, uh, so we'll 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 re, re, we will reiterate all that next podcast. Yeah, but right now I'm gonna go pass out. Take some Benadryl and pass out. That's the plan. <laughs> all right, Josh. Thanks, man. Talk to you next time. I'll talk to you guys later. Well, this week we are jumping into all things Bigfoot slash Sasquatch slash Yeti slash Brad is called Big Daddy. <laughs> no, okay. I thought that would I thought that would hit, but apparently I'm wrong. So, all right. We are, of course. Uh, we've had John Portnova on a couple times before, and I think the last time you were on, you were just about to start we talked about aliens yeah we you were, we were talking about aliens talking about uh the device and the quarter mass experiment and you were about to embark quarter mass yeah okay <laughs> you're about to embark on your your project uh as a director for the first time uh your I mean your project right valley of the sasquatch we talked we did talk quite a bit about you know your influence of uh, Bigfoot movies, and and I know that we have mentioned certain Bigfoot movies before in the past, Brad. As as things have come out, I mean, there's a shit ton of Bigfoot movies, and but there's even less like good big Bigfoot movies, which is weird. Like that trend <laughs> is weird uh, to me. No, it's because- no. It, honestly, it's not weird because the same thing goes for Alien films. Or even is that we have, it, they're all three yeah, subgenres I mean, where they're predominantly terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean we have kind of our bigger alien movies, but as far as like small thing like uh, alien films and and like John's right, even even vampire films, we have all these things and and paranormal films is that we have these things that we love, but honestly, there's not a ton of great films behind it. Um, and I guess it's more, it's less even with Bigfoot films, but I do find Bigfoot films more entertaining. Um, but anyways, we'll get into that. Yeah, there's kind of a theory I actually have with that. I think what it is is, so there's less Bigfoot movies, you know, kind of per capita than especially like vampire movies or werewolf movies, but, uh, less people are watching them. So it makes it harder to get recommendations for the good ones just because people aren't really seeking out Bigfoot movies. I know, you know, there's, different types like i obviously always am um and it's helpful that that i live nearby a place like scarecrow video where they actually have like a bigfoot section (laughs) so i can just be like oh i just want to go look through all the bigfoot movies um but i think what it kind of is is these movies ask you right up front hey you have to believe in bigfoot because the movie does and for whatever reason that's hard for people i guess because it's a real thing like they don't care if it's like you know Freddy Krueger. Oh, I have to believe that Freddy Krueger is a dream demon? Fine, buy it. Like, they'll give horror movies that gimme, but when it's asking you to believe in this real monster, they're like, nah, 
that's lame. <laughs> and so they don't even really seek out Bigfoot movies, but there are some very good ones out there. <laughs> well, I just finally, John, watched Hunting Grounds the other night. I'm, I'm late to the party, and I know that I've been wanting to see it for quite some time. It's very much anticipated. And um, I was, you know, like a weirdo, I always get it, I get attached to movie titles and, you know, how a movie's marketed, like to me, almost sets the tone for the film. And it was called Valley of the Sasquatch. You guys had a really cool poster designed by, who designed that original poster? We actually were lucky. We had a couple of cool posters when we were traveling the festival circuit. The original mm-hmm. one, which is kind of like the darker one where you see the outline of the Bigfoot in the forest, uh, that was designed by Paul Shipper, who we got right. from uh, – I loved his Scream Factory work, specifically what he did on the Squirm disc. I loved his new art for that, so I was like, we got to hire that guy. So that's what <laughs> was traveling around for film festivals. And if people want to go to like IMDb, all the posters are up there. They can check them out. Uh, but then when we got – uh, represented for foreign sales by this company Devil Works. Right. They designed another poster, and this was by Brandon Schaefer, and this is the one that had the orange background. And I really loved Brandon's work because he did an amazing first poster for Bone Tomahawk that was like my favorite poster of the year oh, that came yeah. out with the big red sun. Um, and so that was cool. That's how it's represented in foreign markets. Uh, and actually Rotten Tomatoes called that poster one of the 24 best posters of 2016, which was crazy. Like we're on this <laughs> list with movies people have heard of. Like it was nuts. Um, but once again, when it comes time to distribute the movie, even in those foreign territories, like we've been out on DVD under the title Valley of the Sasquatch in the UK since January, um, they designed just random Photoshop art with like a gang of Bigfoot staring right at the, uh, the camera for lack of a better description. <laughs> and, um, it's just one of those weird things where it's like for sales, you can get really arty for film festivals. Like when us filmmakers are paying for it ourselves, you can get really mm-hmm. arty and get great uh, pieces. But when it comes time to put it on a shelf in a supermarket or in a Walmart or whatever, it's uh, it's got to be Photoshop and uh, pretty generic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so so the name was changed for marketing reasons for the U.S. distributor. Name was changed to Hunt Grounds. They had, uh, you know, more of a, yeah, like I said, like more of a generic uh, kind of poster art, which still like wasn't bad. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, you could, I've seen a lot worse <laughs> so yeah, standing no, through it, the Walmart shelves. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, at least it represents more of what the film was about, I guess, uh, rather than some other, like, uh, like the, the artwork for the device was like, you know, you had nothing. Yeah, for sure. I think we've been kind of happy with the process. Our U.S. distributors uncorked entertainment and they wanted to retitle it. And their whole reason for it is they said just uh, Bigfoot doesn't sell well if you just straight up call it Bigfoot. And they actually ended up being right because certain retailers found out like, oh, it's called Hunting Grounds, but it's actually a Bigfoot movie. Like a place like Redbox is like, oh, we're going to order more copies because Bigfoot doesn't sell well. And I think even Walmart like isn't really selling the movie because just for whatever reason, these retailers have had a couple of bad experiences with things that are obviously Bigfoot. And they were like, nah, we're not interested. So that's why Uncorked in the first place wanted to retitle it. But I've said, you know, since this process happened, obviously I always prefer the original titles. Um, Our movie Seder Ridge was what got retitled into the invoking. And that also had a very misleading cover. But I will say in Uncorked's favor, uh, Hunting Grounds is a good title for a movie. It actually sounds like a real title, unlike The Invoking. Um, and <laughs> the cover art is the best of the misleading cover art that we've been slapped with because it's not too misleading. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get I get the game. I, I get I, 
I do get it. And, you know, you, and, you know, it, it's a lot of people can, can complain and, and give companies shit about stuff like that. But I, yeah, I, I totally get it. But yeah, I mean, what I'm, what I'm saying, like, I guess I approach a film a different way. For me, like, a lot of people just will want the film to stand on its own and watch the film. Like, I'm always kind of looking, I'm very much interested in, you know, the, uh, poster artwork and everything like that's the first thing I see and and that kind of helps me set the mood for the film because I think that that hunting grounds if you look at the poster you, you're you're gonna think oh it's 100% Bigfoot mayhem all the time which there is some great Sasquatch mayhem in here I mean there's a there's a head that gets squashed like a grape it's beautiful <laughs> fantastic and it's funny my wife walked into the room right as this guy's getting his head squished which is great and she's like what the hell are you watching and so but i think there's a lot more to your film because the, the first thing that i noticed was kind of your approach especially at the beginning as though the film opens was this kind of attention to like actual like cinematography setting up the 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 forest and you know it's some really and some really beautiful beautiful music like you're obviously approaching this more than just some cheap Sasquatch film, you know. So I really appreciated that going in, and I think the original posters kind of helped lead me into like, oh, this is, you know, John's telling the story in a in a different way. He's not going after the the cheap, you know, uh, gore, the cheap thrills in in the film. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. That was something that we kind of planned on from the beginning. It's sort of Hunting Grounds really fits with our other two movies, if you've seen those, just like this theme of, you know, we're very character driven. We definitely pr try to present things well above their budget level, which I mean, Hunting Grounds was our highest budget yet, but it's still a low budget movie by any stretch of the imagination. And something that we always talk to, like when we were talking with investors and other production companies when we were developing the movie, like the big thing that they would ask was, is it going to be found footage and is the Bigfoot going to be CGI? Because that's kind of like what's been happening in the low budget world of Bigfoot movies. And our answer was always like from the beginning, we're like, no, absolutely not. The Bigfoot is a guy in a suit. The, it will not, it's not a found footage movie. We want the cinematography to be one of the kind of main characters of the film. Uh, and we also like kind of want to treat the Sasquatch like a kind of real creature. There's a lot of influence from some true encounter stories woven throughout the plot. And as, as opposed to it just being like some kind of rampaging supernatural monster we wanted to think like okay if this is really what's going on with bigfoot and in these true stories it's attacked people what made it attack those people at that time uh, and so we tried to kind of weave some of that reality throughout our story of our fictional characters nice yeah, and it's this it's a smaller cast uh i think four if yeah, four actors that are the main the main group um of actors in your it was uh bill I'm going to butcher his name, Bill Oberst Jr. Which yeah, is Bill a, Oberst, he's, a, he's awesome. He plays Bauman, and he's kind of our, our biggest name. It's so funny with uh, Uncork. Yeah, it's one of those doing, guys you always will notice. Like, oh, that guy. Yeah, exactly. With the, when they started doing the U.S. kind of press tour that they've been sending us on, you know, just like internet you know, email interviews and podcasts and phone calls and stuff, uh, it was they were like, "Oh, the people want to talk to you because you directed it," and they want to talk to Bill. And I was like, "Really? Bill's like <laughs> the, the supporting dude." Like you said, there's the right. four main characters, and then Bill like joins them throughout the movie. So it's like, as yeah. far as importance to the plot, Bill's like fifth out of five. But he was the guy everyone wanted to talk to because he's just one of those <laughs> actors, which is especially hard to find. Like in the indie horror realm where he's so interesting and he always shows up 
and delivers in these projects. And like, he'll even be the first to say he's been in some kind of terrible movies, but he commits 100%. Uh, even if he just shows up for one scene, cause he's one of those guys that maybe people will just have on set for one day. We only had him on set for four days, but we like worked like hell when he was on set. So that's why he's in, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of the movie. Um, And he's just, yeah, he's always... Have you ever seen Coyote? I haven't seen Coyote yet. I know there's a few movies like Coyote. There's this movie called The Retrieval where they're semi-outside of the horror realm, but, like, he's more front and center. But he definitely deserves it. He's such a great actor, no matter how big the part. He is, uh, he's incredible in Coyote. Yeah, he's he's really good. That movie fucking is pretty uh, fucked up, too, so... (laughs) Uh, the other main character is uh, David Sock. Uh, is it Sockido? Sausido. Sausido. Uh, Jason Vale and uh, let's see. Vial? I can't. W- I can't wait till you get Vale's fine. I can't. The, it's this cast is like just designed for Sean to stumble through. So I'm excited about these next two. Uh, D'Angelo Medili. Oh, you see, you got that one. Good job. <laughs> then Miles Juris. Perfect. Okay, you know what? You proved me wrong. You you did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, so, and the one thing I, I noticed, um, was that there is, it's five, you know, all men, you know, all men in the, in this, in this movie. And I see there's a couple, you know, you had, uh, a character where, uh, uh, Will, the son, he has a picture of him and like a girlfriend or, or someone. And did you, was it more just centered around these guys? Did you have more that you wanted to flesh out his story a little more with including an actress in there or? Yeah. What actually happened was when I was originally designing the story, I just thought I wanted to do something different. What I do before I write a script uh, is I'll watch other movies in that subgenre. So I watched every Bigfoot movie I could find at the time. uh, And there was like certain things I saw that I knew I didn't want to do. And just being a fan of horror films, I just sort of seen the cliches where it's like the the teens go to the cabin in the woods to party or hook up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, I've seen it a million times. I just want to tell a different kind of story. What's the kind of story I haven't seen a lot of? And I thought a father-son story was one I really had hadn't seen a lot and i should okay. mention this is a, the actual first feature script i ever wrote so i wrote this movie eight years before we shot it it was written before Seder ridge and the device and everything um before i was even making films i wrote this script uh the first draft at least and i've been revising it ever since and so that was really kind of like my headspace back when i wrote it was i just want to do something different and so that's why it's a family dynamic and then it was just something where I was inspired by movies like The Descent or like The Thing or Rituals where you just have one gender is really all that's represented in the film. Um, and just what is that dynamic? Like yeah. I remember hearing an interesting story on the behind the scenes of The Thing where even though it's a bunch of dudes in front of the camera, also behind the camera, there was only one woman on set. And at a certain point, she got sick or pregnant or something. And so she left. And so it was a weird set dynamic because suddenly there was like no one to impress. All these guys were just like the, the <laughs> right, way you yeah. normally interact in like public situations when you're a dude. You usually have a certain kind of face on because you don't want to look like a fool in front of the ladies. And they didn't have to do that anymore for the last couple months of the shoot of the thing. And I thought, oh, that's a really interesting dynamic. So why don't I try to work that into the movie? Yeah. And so that's really the reason. Now, granted, it's a movie coming out 
wide release in 2017. I don't necessarily know that in this day and age with all the weird stuff that's going on in our country, we need a movie with just dudes. But uh, <laughs> back when I made it, I thought it was an interesting idea. <laughs> Well, no, you know, I, I, I work with a bunch of guys that they, they'll do, they'll do all these camping trips and, and things like that. And, and especially on when you're camping and you're a man, you know, there is a different dynamic when you're just with the guys. It's a lot more, you're a lot more, uh, apt to be, uh, just no filter, um, almost, and that's what I found interesting was some of these characters, how how they act around each other. There's no – like there is no filter. Like there if, – if a guy's an asshole, he's just going to be an asshole. <laughs> you know, like he's not playing to anyone else. He's just – this is just – this is the way it is. And, and, and you know, I think it's – it's it's true to it, when it, when I've been out with just the guys, especially in the wilderness, there's a more of a primal thing that for some reason uh, <laughs> men have – yeah, there's definitely something like just based. So you're saying if we, no, go ahead. I was gonna say just one quick thing. If if we, if John and I take you out in the woods, that means we get unhinged, Sean. <laughs> yeah, watch out. When you say it in that voice, cool. it sounds like it's gonna be right. like sexy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, like like you know, uh, uh, guys. I'm hoping for it. There's guys are more apt to to drink more, to burn more things, to maybe we can fuck some moss, shoot more <laughs> guns. Like it's just it's just the, from what I've seen when there's a woman around, all that like there's nobody. Proton. You know it. Yeah. It's it's it, it is like it is like there's no you know there's no filtering. I can't wait. But uh, I can't wait. And I hope we get attacked yeah. by Bigfoot. Anyway, I, I found that to be an, an interesting dynamic because I used to camp with my dad and it was like – and I was younger and it was all guys and it was just – you know, it's just a whole different dyna- dynamic for sure. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought that was something really interesting, especially for the main character of Michael who uh, Miles Joris Parafit plays. Uh, he's someone who – the backstory is that his mother recently passed away and his dad's dealing with it very badly, falling into alcoholism, things like that. And Michael is kind of a character that if there was a woman around, like let's say if an uncle character wasn't there, but it was an aunt character, he would be much more comfortable. He's just a dude who's more comfortable around women. And uh, he's kind of had that nurturing presence in his life his whole time. And him and his dad are just kind of, they're not like enemies, but they, it just was like, well, my dad's gonna do my thing. He doesn't really care about what I do. And I could sort of, you know, relate to certain aspects of that. Or I've seen that in friends kind of growing up that have that relationship with their dad. And I thought, well, what if that's the person that that's all you have now is that uh, the dude that kind of you guys never gave th- second thought about each other and now you're all that you have left in the world. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And I've actually heard some people say after seeing the film that for a movie full of men, it's actually very feminine in the way that uh, it's kind of like exploring those relationships and the kind of feelings that the characters have. And so I thought that that was kind of interesting and I'm glad that people sort of got more out of it. Cause the last thing I ever want to be known for is like making a bro or a, a frat kind of yeah. uh, horror movie. No, I, no, but that, that's what I'm saying. Like uh, what I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, men get, get, get together and just bro out. I mean, it's 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 the different dynamic, and I think you captured that with the father and son. It wasn't. I mean, maybe I made it sound like this was going to be like if you haven't seen this, this is just some bro movies with Sasquatch. It's 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 not. There's what I'm saying is there's a lot more dynamics going on with the characters, and um, which makes for the more you think about it, 
you know, makes for a more of an interesting film, especially when, if, as things progress in the film with certain characters and uh, some decisions are made and mistakes are made and things like that. Like it brings a, a different uh, a little more weight, I think, to each character rather than if you're watching some like Dude Bro versus Sasquatch. It, it definitely there's a lot going on there in the script for sure. Cool. No, I'm glad that that's uh, what you got from the movie. I think it's definitely uh, originally from the design was I intended it to be more of a male scream queen kind of movie like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 as opposed to the bro kind of hostile sort of stuff. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. glad that as people watch it, they're sort of getting that. And I think Miles sort of does a great job as the final guy. <laughs> But of course, there's also Bigfoot action. That's the main reason right. why the right. movie exists. Just because I wanted to see some arms ripped off and some heads stomped. <laughs> so, what would you say? I mean, other because I, I mean personally, I know you, so this is kind of a dumb question. But um, yes, to the to the audience, what are your biggest inspirations? Uh, other than because I mean, on on the show, we know that you're you you know you like. Uh, you like those little subgenres. We, we talk about werewolf movies, but what, what, uh, an alien film. So what, um, what are some of the big things that made you so, um, kind of attracted to, you know, the Yeti, Bigfoot, you know, all that, all that, all that shit? Well, actually, what it comes from is less films and more like TV and books because when I grew up I loved just like real world monsters and like the paranormal I would watch Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings were two of my favorite shows whenever they were on and now that Unsolved Mysteries like is streaming on Amazon Prime like full seasons like I'm is like oh it's amazing um but uh and those were what really got me into it like those shows freaked me out a lot but when it was getting into things like Bigfoot, it always drew my attention more just because it was something that was here and it was something I could encounter being in the Pacific Northwest. So it's a real monster, but it's not like Loch Ness Monster where you have to go visit it. It's not like an alien where it's like you have to be abducted. Uh, it's, well, you could just go into the woods that are theoretically the woods right next to my house. Maybe I could walk around in there and see Bigfoot. And that just really fascinated me and also horrified me because I think like it would be amazing, one of the best experiences of my life, to be in the woods and see a Sasquatch. It would be also one of the most horrifying experiences of my life, and I don't know really how I would react. Um, but that's just something that really I've just been loving my whole life, reading books about the subject, and I still kind of like continue to do it to this day. I'll go check out the, uh, I think it's like the 001 section at the library where they put all of that random paranormal stuff. I'll, that'll be the first place I look and see if there's any interesting old books that I haven't found yet or read. Um, and so it's just kind of been like a lifetime of reading those stories and getting them in my mind that helped inform this script, which I wrote, you know, after graduating from film school, I decided like, oh, I need to write my first script. What do I love? I love horror movies. I love Bigfoot. Like, let's try to combine them and, uh, sort of see what happens. And so, so that's really where it came from. So that's the love of Sasquatch and the, uh, unsolved mystery style, like treating them like a real thing, uh, mixed with my love of particularly like low budget siege movies is a subgenre of horror I really like. So I was taking inspiration for things like Night of Living Dead, Assault on Precinct 13, and, uh, Dog Soldiers were really like things I was looking at as I was kind of crafting the outline of the screenplay. So what were some of the things that you, I mean, going in, you were, you've obviously been involved with the film production process in, in the past, but this was your first kind of, the first time you're guiding the ship yourself. What was, what were some of the biggest things you were, 
I guess, afraid of going in? And as you went through the process, like, how did your perception change? Were you kind of scared of things, you know, or, or daunted by certain tasks that turned out to be, you know, easier than you thought? And then were, what were some of the unexpected challenges that you faced just kind of going at this the first time? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I uh, was lucky enough in that before my first directorial film got off the ground, I was involved very closely with two other feature films in The Invoking and The Device. And on those films, I wasn't just a co-writer and a co-producer. Uh, on set, I was the assistant director. And so what the assistant director does is they really run the set as far as like the nuts and bolts. It's like, okay, how long is it going to take us to get this shot? Okay, an hour. I'm going to relay that to all the other departments. I'm going to make sure all the cogs are moving so that the director and the cinematographer and the actors can do their creative sort of stuff. Uh, and so I was aware of what that side of the whole process was. So really it was just kind of with uh, Hunting Grounds switching over to another side of my brain. And we actually came really close on the heels of the device. We actually shot Hunting Grounds two months after we shot the device, but the film just came out like three years later. <laughs> and so I learned a lot about the distribution process and trying to distribute a Bigfoot movie. That's for sure. Um, and working with something that's a higher budget, uh, than our other movies. But, uh, as far as being on set, it was just realizing like, okay, all the stuff that I normally am like going through my head or I have to make sure like I'm the guy who the buck stops with as far as making sure we get our day. That suddenly wasn't me anymore. So it was kind of like trusting other people, trusting my assistant director to be the person who could, uh, uh, make sure that we were on it and it allowed me to just sort of focus on the creative aspect and really work with the the camera crew i realized that uh my nights after we were done shooting you know they really didn't end luckily we kind of we lived in one location so where we shot uh in the mountains of near snoqualmie pass here in washington we stayed in a ski lodge it was during the summer that we filmed so they were closed for the season and so our cast and crew lived in the ski lodge and then we shot in the woods and like a little telephone cabin surrounding it um and so that made it so that after we were done shooting, I needed to re like kind of redo my shot list and move through the actual environment for the next day, kind of knowing, you know, what we didn't get on this day and what we need to pick up. And then also rethinking about the scenes now that we're physically there shooting it. Uh, and so it just made it so the job sort of never stopped, but it was definitely the more creative mind side of things, thinking about, okay, what's the best way in blocking in working with how the camera is going to go to make the most dynamic shots as opposed to, oh, we need to make sure the caterer shows up at this time and blah, 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 that I did as an assistant director. So that was really the, uh, the main kind of learning process, but I directed short films before. So as far as interacting with the actors, it wasn't uh, that big of a deal. It was working with people I'd never worked with before, but that was something uh, I'd experienced and they were all total pros. I mean, someone like Bill Oberst, who's been on, you know, a couple hundred sets in even in the last like five years, like the dude works all the time. Um, that could be daunting, but he's such a affable guy and he's so nice and so professional that it was it was nothing it was like i was working with someone like d'angelo who's been in literally everything i've directed a short film web series episode and then he was also one of the main players in the invoking um that made it so easy having someone like that around who i just knew like okay no matter what d'angelo's there i know exactly we were on each other's wavelength and then luckily the new actors that i'd never worked with before uh ended up just really falling into like we sort of clicked with each other really quickly. So that was nice. So if you had, if you had to pick, um, kind of, uh, one of your favorite moments or sequences in hunting grounds, um, 
not like behind the scenes what was more fun, but like visually, what what did you capture that you've always thought about capturing, even when you very first started thinking about filmmaking and and watching Bigfoot movies? Um, obviously, there's something in your head um, as a writer that you're like, oh man, I can't wait to actually maybe create that one day. Um, did you have any moments like that with uh, Hunting Grounds? Yeah, there's actually um, a couple of those. As far as visually, like Sean mentioned, the opening credits, um, that was something that was very much in my mind. I wanted to present, like, the most beautiful shots of the film are right up top. You're being introduced to the environment. And then about halfway through the sequence, the character that Bill plays uh, shows up. And... I just really wanted to kind of like draw the audience into this world, like the, the reality of the place it's in bright natural light is how it starts. And then it segues into night and uh, just keeping with the kind of reality of it, making people know that they're not in this heightened fantasy world where monsters exist. It's, this is your world. This is the reality you've seen. Um, and right from that big opening shot where you see the mountains going off into the distance, which was kind of inspired by the uh, credits uh, shot from just before dawn. Um, I knew that I wanted people to really just be drawn in and think like, oh, this doesn't look like, you know, most of the low budget Bigfoot movies I've seen. And especially helps because so many of them are found footage now. I just wanted to be like, this is what we're doing. Here's our world. And then as we segue into night, one thing that uh, my cinematographer uh, and producing partner, Jeremy Berg, talked a lot about was uh, we wanted the night to be a realistic night. Most uh, like I love the work of Dean Cundy. I love the blue nights that he did with John Carpenter and Halloween. And those that's kind of what nights look like for the most part in Hollywood films. They're just bright and blue. We thought, well, no, we want this to be like a real night. So our nights are black. It's kind of more of a documentary style. It's something that the first movie really jumped out to me when I saw that was in American Graffiti. It's kind of, you know, a little more documentary style, uh, cinema verite version of a night where behind the characters, it slowly disappears just into total blackness like it would be when you're really out at night. And so that was something that visually we were excited about getting across. And then another thing I was really excited about from a writing perspective is I think the, uh, the ending of the film, there's a choice that the character of Michael has to make that I was really excited about getting across on screen. And I think when audiences see it, when I've seen it with them, you know, when it played at festivals and things, it totally started clicking with them where the character, his personality and a decision he's been struggling with the whole movie. That's what he has to do at the end of the movie. Uh, he has a certain dynamic with his father and things that his father does. His father's pushing him to do something he doesn't want to do. And then in the finale, he has to make a choice about whether or not he is going to finally do this thing that the whole movie he's been wrestling with. And that's something that doesn't happen every day. My other scripts definitely don't have that kind of ending, but I think that's always very exciting when an ending is, oh, of course, this has to be the choice the character needs to make at the end because the whole movie's been building to it. So you mentioned um, uncorked is um is uh distributing the film and now um this is going to be out today um on and it, where can people find it it's going to be obviously on amazon but um what other locations can people buy it from yeah, it's kind of interesting. Now, this is our first time working with Uncorked, and they're a bit smaller of a distributor than we've worked with previously. 
but we know that they had uh, a good reach into certain uh, retail avenues, and so we were excited about that. They also weren't scared off by the fact it was Bigfoot. They thought the movie was strong enough that it, you know, other distributors were like, "Oh, Bigfoot, eh, we don't know," which is why you know we had such a long kind of festival run, uh, which was awesome. You know, we played at a bunch of festivals over the course of a couple years, won some awards. That was really nice. But distributors, when we talked to them about it, were like, "Oh, we don't know about Bigfoot. Bigfoot hasn't been doing well recently." Uh, Uncorked was really excited, but because they're a smaller uh, distributor, really the only place you can buy the disc is Amazon, um, which is kind of a different experience for us. Uh, you can rent it in some certain retailers. I know Family Video is ordering it. It'll eventually show up in Redbox uh, in a limited run, but I'm not sure exactly when. I mean, like the Invoking, I think, came to Redbox six months after <laughs> the disc actually went on sale. So it can be a weird thing with indie movies in a Redbox. We'll keep everyone informed, like on this uh, Hunting Grounds Facebook page and on Twitter at Sasquatch Horror. Uh, but for right now, if you want to... Uh, uh, buy the film. The place to get it is Amazon. Uncorked is putting out a DVD and a Blu-ray, uh, which we're very excited about. Both of them uh, have some really cool bonus features. I think I talked about this on the previous episodes I was on. We always like to include a lot of bonus features in our uh, discs, just give people some more content for their money, especially because these are movies that they probably haven't seen. Um, luckily with this one, that we did get a little bit of headway with VOD. This is the first time we didn't have a, a day and date release, so that was something that uh, Uncorked provided us as we got a big push for our VOD premiere a couple months ago. So some people have seen it like that and then now want to purchase the disc to own it. But so for the content we're giving them on both of the, the discs, you're going to be able to get an audio commentary with the October people, and there's going to be a feature-length documentary where we had a strictly behind-the-scenes person on set, so he was recording a lot of BTS footage and interviewing everybody. So all the actors, all the main crew members, we all show up in there. And so I'm very proud of what uh, the guy's name is, Corey Henderson, what he put together. Um, so just really in-depth. It's kind of a sister doc to the one that we did for The Invoking, which was another feature-length behind-the-scenes. But I think this one is much better because on that one, we didn't have the on-set photographer behind the scenes and everything. Um, but then on the Blu-ray, we we had so much content that there were certain things that could only fit on the Blu-ray. So one thing you're going to see in there is there's about 10 minutes of deleted scenes, and those have optional commentary from me on there. And there's a few more things uh, from the opening. We kind of rejiggered the whole... Uh, way that the travel up the mountain to the cabin plays out for the father and the son. It was just a little too complicated in the script, and we realized in editing, let's simplify this. And there's actually a couple characters in that sequence that we cut out that kind of have to do with this uh, girl that Michael sees when he's in town, which is kind of the one moment where he has this sort of female connection in the movie and it's off in the distance kind of glimpsed and uh, then it's gone and he's not going to be able to have that life of the typical teenager um, so it gets into a bit more of that in the uh, deleted scenes um, and then there's also a 20 minute featurette uh, called John Goes Squatchin which is the first time I ever went on a squatching trip I went into the Washington rainforest for a day and uh, my guide was Paul Malik who's also known as Dormarth and he is a heavy metal big and VHS enthusiast, and you've seen him in documentaries like Rewind This and Adjust Your Tracking. Yeah, I about to say, he's he's the one that has like kind of the upstairs... He has uh, an attic. His horror attic is what he calls it, yeah. and he has like 3,000 yeah. VHS tapes up there. He's such a cool guy. He lives here in Washington, and... Uh, he shows it off in the, uh, in the featurette, but he has every, the main important things in his life are tattooed on either arm. One of them is a VHS tape that says never forget. The other one is the outline of Bigfoot and it says shit's real underneath. Uh, 
Um, so that dude is my guide into the world of uh, squatching, and we go into the uh, the Queets rainforest, and it was a really interesting experience. He kind of lays out his history with Bigfoot and gives a, a nice dossier for people who aren't familiar with kind of some of the real uh, facts and things that have been going on in the Bigfoot world. Uh, well, you can also see us, you know, going on this adventure and what we find. So that was a lot of fun, and so I definitely recommend people uh, – picking up the blu-ray and like i said if you want to buy them unfortunately the only place to get either of them is amazon yeah and of course uh we cover a lot of vod stuff even though we are a physical media podcast we talk about digital a lot because we don't want to leave that out because honestly at this day and age it's um you know with all the releases all the retro releases coming out from all these companies all the newer movies coming out um it's getting expensive so it's it's nice able to to even rent some of these even retro films and watch them on Amazon and and rent newer movies on VOD um we don't want to leave any of that out cuz we're snobs but we're not snobs um <laughs> so yeah uh pick up hunting grounds i've seen it um i've i'm like john and that's how john and i connected um for any of our new listeners, I was writing a for Pop Shifter at the time, and I uh, did an honest review of the invoking. And John reached out to me and thanked me for my honesty. And then we became <laughs> lovers ever since. Um, <laughs> and you know, I've always I, I've always uh, supported John and his work because he he's obviously making films that um you know I, i've always uh, dreamed about doing uh, as far as you know um you know aliens and, and and bigfoot so we connect on on that thing and i've seen probably like john um uh, pretty much every bigfoot movie and um i've watched a lot of um uh, so-called documentaries on, on the subject um and also, I'm always been. Uh, I don't believe everything an ancient alien says, but I'm also a fan of ancient aliens because I love how crazy that shit is and um, kind of what they go into. Obviously, it's a lot more than, than Bigfoot. It's been on for like seven seasons, but um, I've always I've always <laughs> loved kind of the paranormal world and monsters and stuff like that. So I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised and um, and happy with uh, with a. A, a decent Bigfoot installment rather than kind of the trash we've been getting because it's been such a saturated market um, even doing this show for the past three years and in writing for sites I mean I was getting Bigfoot movies like shit once a month and um, John's right a lot of them were found footage and they, they just weren't good and we didn't see the Bigfoot very much um, even something big like exists was um, was found footage even though you get to see the Bigfoot a lot more, I was, I was happy with, um, with, uh, with John's film where it doesn't really shy away from actually seeing Bigfoot, which, um, I, I, I enjoyed. Um, we don't get Harry and the Hendersons on you, but, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's fun nonetheless. So, um, yeah, and that was something by design was to not be the movie that just hides the monster the whole time. We were like, you know, we've got – it's about a creature. We've got a pretty cool uh, suit here for our creature, and it's an actual guy on set. Let's show him off. And also from the beginning, it was a group of Sasquatch, which is actually something you don't see too much. Usually it's a lone sort of killing machine, but we have a family of Sasquatch are attacking our heroes in uh, hunting grounds. Yeah, so that's um, – watch it. Let us know what you think, 
And uh, with that, we're going to get into what we consider some of the best and our favorite. I won't say best for me because I like some shitty Bigfoot movies. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, there's let's, nothing let's Oscar caliber here in this list. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's um, kind of the sad. Well, part. Except, except for Harry, Harry won an Oscar. Oh, oh shit. But That's Harry's right. not on my list, so. <laughs> but I figure he might be on Sean's. <laughs> what? That's what you're what, you, what are you talking about? You know. Sid, don't you blame the movies? Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Let me let me go ahead and go first, Brax. I, I I don't have a lot going on. You 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 know we wanted to do top five at least. Well, we're doing like, top five. I, yeah. I don't even know if I have top five, but um, the first one. I mean, this is you know it's probably going to be the only the only the five Bigfoot movies I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> the first the first one I wanted to talk about. I don't. I can't even remember if this is good or not, but I remember liking it at the time. Um, it was a View Askew production starring Jason Lee. It was called uh, Drawing Flies. Yep, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting it, oh, one. Shit, it's like yeah. kind of a uh, mumblecore before mumblecore Bigfoot movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen this uh, probably since like 1996, so I can't remember too much about it. All I know is that uh, Jason Lee is. Um, is hiking through like the wilderness looking for Sasquatch. That's, that's basically all I remember. Um, yeah, very, very I, I, in, you know, I haven't seen that movie in years, but, um, but it was enough. I liked it enough to buy the, uh, the DVD when it came out and I, when I found it, or, or was it even uh, VHS? I don't know, but Kevin Smith produced it of course. And, um, I, I really liked Jason Lee at the time. And, and, um, so, uh, so I, I really want to watch it again. So we'll see if it holds up. Uh, next is the 2009 film. Brad, I think you've mentioned this, but it's called Assault of the Sasquatch. Um, I honestly, dude, I get so fucking confused. Which with- is basically Assault of Precinct 13 with Sasquatches. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I watched yeah, this. Okay. I watched this late one night. I think on like Amazon Prime or something like that. <laughs> uh, and after drinking, so uh, I had some. You know there. that movie's not that bad though. I mean it's 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 fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the type of Bigfoot movies I actually like. Yeah. So. Um. I would say Valley of the Sasquatch would be in there, John, for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, Whoa. I wasn't going to suck dick that er- that early. <laughs> but okay. You make up, me look Brad. bad. No, I mean I, I haven't seen that many, man. I, I haven't no, even I seen agree. like some I of the agree. Ones. No, I mean as of all Bigfoot movies, yes, this John's John's film uh definitely is above a lot. Uh, if not mostly all of uh um, and then and then I'm gonna mention Harry and Harry and the Henderson Hendersons. I don't know. Of course you would. I mean, we wouldn't expect anything else. The creature suit is great. It's fun. I watched it recently with the kids. But um, and then finally, uh, it's not necessarily Bigfoot, but it's Yeti or something. But uh, Abominable is a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, people should yeah. check it out. Yeah, Matt McCoy, Jeffrey Combs movie, two thousand six or something yeah. like that. 
Yeah, yeah it's great. It's pretty great. Uh, it's basically rear window with a Yeti. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty fantastic. But, um, but like I said, I haven't seen a whole lot. And obviously, like, this isn't, can't be considered every Bigfoot movie I've seen because I haven't mentioned exists and exists sucks. <laughs> In my humble opinion. But, uh, I never even got around to watching, you know, Willow Very Creek. Humble. And, uh, and I haven't even seen, like, Legend of Boggy Creek yet. I mean, I own the, the DVD of Legend of Boggy Creek, and I think I talked to a woman who was involved. Oh, wait, 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 wait a second. Willow, Willow Creek's a Bigfoot movie? <laughs> Allegedly. That's an inside joke if you've listened to the show. <laughs> uh, all right. That's, is there a that's monster all, in the movie? That's all I got. I'm, but I, I want to hear uh, you guys obviously have a lot more to say, so I, I want to just sit back and listen to you guys, man. Well, I guess I will go and then we'll John, let John finish out with his grand outro <laughs> since he's the professional. Um, so mine is a little odd. Um, so <laughs> I like I like Bigfoot movies, but I like when they're a little nutty and crazy. Um, so that's kind of where my list goes from. And I'm also encapsulating Bigfoot movies since I was little and I even have a, uh, VHS only, uh, I don't think it was ever released on DVD. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'd have to look into it. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite, um, Bigfoot movies and I saw this, um, before Harry and the Hendersons, which I believe this is a, obvious, a ripoff of, um, Harry and the Hendersons. And I want to know if John knows what it is first. Okay. So you're saying it's a Harry and the Hendersons ripoff. Is it Bigfoot, the unforgettable journey? You are correct. <laughs> it's encounter, but oh, you are okay, correct. With uh, Zachary Ty oh, Bryan. Yeah. And, uh, Clint, Clint Howard. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Bigfoot, then an unforgettable encounter. Um, it's, uh, I tell you what, it's it, it shot well. It, it has some amazing scenery, and uh, it, it it's and it's solid as far as like a filmmaking standpoint, like technical wise. But I mean, the, the fucking costume of Bigfoot is fucking terrible. Talk about a film where they should have probably shied away from showing Bigfoot. <laughs> this is uh, this is this is what it's like. Um, <laughs> and also the the Bigfoot's very uh, comical, like in Harry and the Hendersons, but it's just more or less of the clumsy aspect. Which, uh, takes away anything of, because uh, I, I feel that one of the reasons why Harry and the Henderson works on kind of the, the comedic aspect is because the monster could be violent. It could kill everybody. Yeah. Um, it does have those outbursts and B- Bigfoot un- unforgettable encounter. Um, he doesn't really show any angst or he doesn't show that he's afraid or, um, show that he could do any harm. So I think that connection, uh, unlike Harry and the Hendersons, where the kids can calm the monster down, they can, he gets angry, he destroys things, they calm him down. That shows like an emotional connection trying to speak with the creature. In Bigfoot and Venerable Encounter, I think the kid just kind of treats him like shit a little bit <laughs> and just kind of takes it for granted. Um, but anyways, uh, nonetheless, one of my, uh, top, I know that it's weird saying it's on my top, but I, I like watching it because it, I, I feel I watched it when I was a kid. I saw it before Harry and the Hendersons. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It always kind of stayed with me. 
Um, next up is a, uh, a documentary made in the seventies, um, that is paired with a film that they just recently, uh, made fun of on Mystery Science Theater, uh, 3000, uh, with a dual pack of a vinegar syndrome title, uh, with Cry Wilderness as the film they've done on Mystery Science Theater. And there's also on that disc, there's a documentary called In Search of Bigfoot. Um, where it is this guy, Morgan something, um, travels and is very passionate about trying to find, um, and is also angry about how there isn't, uh, more scientists and more people after the search and trying to prove that Bigfoot really does exist. Like, hard evidence. Um, and he also, uh, goes in, you know, detail between, you know, uh, the Patterson, uh, video that is also, you know, the, the main source of kind of where all this Bigfoot stuff come from other than, you know, um, uh, kind of just history of, uh, the Indians and, um, um, uh, where was, what was the tribe that originally said big, like, had the very first documentation of big, like a hairy man. I think it's actually been a, a few different tribes. I couldn't specifically say the very first one, but yeah, there's yeah. like wild men. And that's where the word, you know, Sasquatch comes from is from these Pacific Northwest right. kind of tribes. But yeah, it's really like around the, 50s was when the footprints started being discovered, and that's when the term Bigfoot was coined. Uh, but then in the early 60s, or I'm trying to remember when it was, but when the, that Patterson video happened, it was like, oh, crap, we need to uh, – this is a bigger deal. Everyone needs to be reporting on this. Newspapers were writing about it. And so basically every documentary, like legit doc, and every like docudrama that then came out like with a fictional Bigfoot story, um, all of them had to include that Patterson footage in like the first five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and this is, Morgan actually goes into, uh, I'm trying to remember the names of, um, some of the Bigfoot enthusiasts, uh, John Green and, um, uh, is it Renee? Oh yeah, I'm totally gonna, I get him confused with the character in Harry and the Hendersons because the villain in Harry and the Hendersons is named after this guy. <laughs> so I want to say right. it's like Renee uh, Dewan or something, but that might be the character. It, it's the hidden, the hidden. I, I believe that's how it's pronounced. So uh, Morgan goes into detail about kind of the findings and the research that these two uh, have have tried to you know prove and 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 take to the public. And it's just more or less kind of a you know obviously uh, spoiler alert they do not find Bigfoot, um, <laughs> but uh, a documentary kind of involving someone who has a big passion about it who doesn't isn't really crazy. Like here's the thing is that sometimes you when you meet people that believe in aliens and stuff they're like very eccentric and they're very out there and they make you not want to believe in what they believe just because they're very overbearing with with this documentary it's more of kind of an intimate portrait of a guy's life who's just kind of sad that people don't embrace it he doesn't want to capture it and put it on you know display he he wants just to prove that these things do exist um, so yeah, in plus, if you buy the DVD from Vinegar Syndrome, you get a quirky fucking family uh, movie um, that uh, has a lot of Coca-Cola products in it called cry Williams. yeah random uh, um, <laughs> trivia that no one uh, cares about that was the first vinegar syndrome disc i ever purchased was that bigfoot double feature and cry wilderness is freaking insane as far as harry and the henderson's kids rip movie ripoffs rare or I, I, honestly i think little bigfoot and little bigfoot 2 might be uh, topping that <laughs> stuff um so um 
you know, speaking of which, because uh, I was I was doing research maybe last year. Did you ever come across a TV show called Bigfoot and Wild Boy? I know of it. I think it's a Sid and Marty Croft show. Um, yeah. But it's yeah. I, I've never been able it to find it. It only lasted for about a season. There's an awesome book that people should check out if they're interested in this Bigfoot stuff uh, called the Bigfoot Filmography that David Coleman wrote, and it breaks down every appearance by Sasquatch as a character in uh, TV and film. And so it gets into you know if there's documentaries or fictional narratives. And so there's a section. There's a couple pages on Bigfoot and Wild Boy, and I think it only lasted a season, but it was like 70s kids show where it's. I mean, I guess you get it from the title, but I have not gotten a chance to watch it yet <laughs> yeah i was i was really wanting to watch that um so next up um wait how many movies are we supposed to do top five five <laughs> uh all right i i i have six but one one doesn't count because it's not really um it's 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 a segment of a a, a TV show that existed kind of like unsolved mysteries. Um, so next up was um, now I want to know if you've seen this one, John, because I'm surprised we never talked about this before. This movie is fucking crazy. I saw this when I rented it at the video store in the '90s, and it wasn't until years later I came across it again. I was like, holy shit, that movie is fucking awfully awesome and good and terrible, and it's got great special effects. It's got a cool-looking creature. It's called The Abominable Snowman, and it's the 1996 version. Um, it's about a survivalist that wants to prove that Bigfoot exists. So he takes a bunch of researchers and friends up to hunt the Abominable Snowman. Uh, but <laughs> he's using them as bait so he can actually just hunt the Bigfoot himself. Um, so anyways, it's, it's a really weird and awful movie, but it's, it's just so much fun because it's, it's just pure nineties. Um, but it's, it's doing something that's, uh, I don't know. There was like in a wave of between 95 and 98, there was like stuff like Jack Frost and, and quirky horror films that came out. And this is, uh, this is one of them. Did you ever stumble across that one, John? You know, I actually didn't, and I think probably the box art has something to do with it. It's just like the cheapest nineties like pre Photoshop thing of a bunch of guys in a row, and there's some eyes on a mountain over top of it, and then it looks like at the very top of the box it says Four Dude Entertainment Presents, like the number four and then dude. So I'm not renting any four dude entertainment movies, unfortunately. But now that you talk about it, I gotta <laughs> check it out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it it's weird that it has because it doesn't seem like something it doesn't feel like that. And what's like, so I, interesting I, looking at cuz a lot of these movies are pretty obscure. Some of the biggest Bigfoot movies will only have a couple hundred reviews on IMDb, which granted not everyone that watches it reviews it on IMDb, but it gives you a good idea of the amount of eyes that are on a film or how well known it is. This Abominable Snowman from 1996, 23 people have rated it on IMDb. This is like obscure as shit. Like I definitely need to check this out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's a, I think a VHS only unless, uh, it's been bootlegged on DVD or something by somebody on Amazon. Um, and then, uh, just this isn't on my list but a quick shout out i talk about this i've talked about this film a few times actually on the show um and it's not good but i tell you what i give it credit for trying to be different was big coast or bigfoot lost coast tapes it's a found footage movie that takes a different total spin on fucking bigfoot and it's fucking nutty and stupid but i tell you what i do give credit to them trying to be different 
but it's I just always have to mention that movie because that movie just blows my mind that it even exists and somebody came up with that concept. <laughs> and um, they've been trying to get a sequel off the ground for a little bit, so may, that might be coming soon sometime. It would probably be an alien movie at that point. Um, so, uh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so, and then my last but not least, other than uh, kind of the, I'll, well, I'll quickly interject uh, the, um, who's the Spock's name? Leonard Nimoy. Oh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Uh, he did this uh, voiceover work for this uh, series called Ancient Mysteries, and there's a big one on uh, Bigfoot. And it's just kind of a more uh, a scientific an analysis rather than kind of a documentary like uh, something that In Search of Bigfoot does or, you know, many of the documentaries that do exist out there. This is more kind of a, a scientific research and, you know, trying to disprove the Patterson uh, footage and um, trying to recreate and just stuff like that. Uh, it's just interesting. Yeah, I remember uh, watching so that show when I was a kid. It was on A&E and it was sort of like, in my yeah. mind, because of the Nimoy connection, it seemed like a modern update of In Search of. Um, but that's, uh, I, yeah, I think that actually exists on DVD. I know on VHS, that episode is just like its own special ancient mysteries, Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check that out. If you, I think it's on YouTube or something like that. And, um, last but not least, my fifth movie, those other two weren't on my list, um, <laughs> was, and here we go. We'll go with wild eye releasing did, uh, <laughs> did a movie, uh, called Bigfoot, the movie. Um, and yes, it, it's a funny, it's actually pretty hilarious. It's a, uh, revenge comedy, um, about basically, uh, <laughs> you killed our friend, we're going to kill you. That's like, I think one of the lines in the, in the, in the film. So it's basically these dudes get their, the, the friend gets killed by Bigfoot and a, they comically hunt, uh, a Bigfoot that actually the special, like the suit that they have in this movie like the cover doesn't do the suit any justice because they obviously slapped it on the cover of the movie. The cover but looks actually atrocious. In, <laughs> yeah, the 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 actual. I mean, that's kind of what the monster looks like, but it looks really good on screen. That's good. Um, so it, it's got a, a great costume. It's got a really funny script. The action sequences are great. The gore is is a lot of fun, um, and it's just it is funny. Um, and I, I gotta. You know, we have stuff like uh, it's equivalent to like something like Wolf Cop. You know, to to where they they take that you know werewolf and make him a cop. This is you know, it, it has that similar tone or something like you know Bubba the Redneck Werewolf, where it's you know just takes a little plot device and and tries to make it the best they can in, in, in a situational comedy. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's 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 a lot of fun. That's it. Very cool. Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Wow. I'm ready to right. to your much. movies. <laughs> John Portnova, lay it on us. All right. Well, my uh, top five Bigfoot <laughs> movies, I um, don't have them in order. They're just alphabetical um, because they're, a lot of them are so close that it's uh, hard for me to choose an absolute favorite. But the first one I'm, I'm going to mention, Sean already brought up, and that is Abominable from 2006. As far as the modern Bigfoot movies, I think this is by far the best one. Um, I really love the setup. It's just a nice low-budget setup. It's rear window, but instead of Raymond Burr being across the way, maybe killing someone, it's Bigfoot. Uh and I think the cast is a lot of fun. There's a great 
great sequence in the middle of the movie with Lance Henriksen and Jeffrey Combs uh, on a hunting trip for trying to get Squatch. And the effects are great. Um, they have there's a really interesting looking look for the Bigfoot in this movie. Uh, it kind of looks like Stacy Keach, um, and it is able to unhinge <laughs> its jaw to chomp people's faces off. There's some great gore. Um, it's kind of just a typical savage Sasquatch movie. It's not trying to play in the realm of reality like uh, you know my movie is, but I think it's a lot of fun. Really dig the effects. And the director, uh, Ryan Schifrin, he's the son of Lalo Schifrin, who did the score for, like, Mission Impossible theme. He did uh, Amityville Horror. So this classical composer. And he did the uh, score for the movie, so it sounds great. Um, Drew Struzan drew, like, one of his last great posters was the Abominable poster. And I remember, like, the original Anchor Bay DVD release has that on the cover, and it just looks so good. That's what really made put the movie on my radar back in the day before i saw it and so i definitely think people should check this one out if they're interested in sort of the modern take on bigfoot movies and it is a damn shame that ryan schifrin has not directed anything since then except for a segment in tales of halloween he did the segment that john landis stars in with the little demon creature um but it's been about 11 years since abominable got released and the dude hasn't made his second feature and that's just such a bummer because he showed a lot of talent in this first movie um, Side note, that DVD looks like it's out of print. It's going for like $32. That's a bummer. I know they re-released it with absolutely terrible cover art where it shows off the creature in okay. like a really bad light. Maybe that one's in print, but this is also Maybe like that one's- old Anchor Bay, which I know currently Anchor Bay is undergoing uh, acquisition by Lionsgate is the rumor. And so I think a lot of their stuff's mm-hmm. probably out of print. Um, but it might be like – Abominable Blu-ray – would be that would be awesome yes i definitely uh would love that um but if you are are able to get that dvd um i think it's probably got to be cheap on ebay maybe on amazon it's uh it's expensive but uh, it's got it's loaded with bonus features it's from like the very end of the glory days of anchor bay where they gave everything the big deluxe treatment um so the next movie on my list is another movie that was released by anchor bay but this one's been out of print for years and this is a classical movie this is the abominable snowman from 1957 starring peter cushing this is hammer's take on the yeti which back in the 50s kind of the yeti films are what inspired the uh, the Bigfoot craze. People were really fascinated about this Yeti thing off in the Himalayas. We got a few movies and then once, uh, you know, kind of the sightings stateside started, that's when the whole Bigfoot explosion happened. Um, so, yeah, The Abominable Snowman, really love it. It's got a really interesting kind of thoughtful take on the Yeti. It's actually from the director and writer of the Quatermass series, the first two installments at least, so it's got that similar wow. kind of exploratory feel and they're treating the monsters a little more serious. Um, and there's a little bit of a supernatural thing to it. But one thing I love, and there's an homage to it in Hunting Grounds, when they show off the creatures, they're really good about hiding the suits and especially the faces. Because if you have a bad Bigfoot face, that's going to sort of sink your movie. And so what they do is whenever they show a close-up, which is very rarely, uh, they will just show a slit of light over the eyes. And that's all you see. Everything else, it falls off into darkness. Um, and it's really effective. And there's a shot near the end of uh, Valley of the Sasquatch where we uh, tried to recreate that. Um, but I think people should definitely seek this one out. Unfortunately, it has been out of print for, you know, maybe a decade at this point. It was an early Anchor Bay Hammer release. Um, but I know there are some Region 2 releases. That's actually the edition I have has a couple, maybe like an additional featurette or something. It's a UK double feature with X the Unknown, which is another Hammer sort of Quatermass-esque movie. Um, 
The next one on the list is getting into a trio of 70s Bigfoot movies. That was the, uh, the heyday of such films. Um, a lot of them were docudramas, which were kind of the precursor to found footage. Um, but this is the one traditional narrative I have here on my list, and it is from 1976, Creature from Black Lake. And this is about a couple of college students that go searching for Bigfoot. They want to record some audio, interview some people, and uh, they're kind of working on their thesis is about um, the existence of this creature. And it's uh, it's a really fun movie. It's got a lot of Southern flair, like a lot of these 70s Bigfoot movies do. Um, although there are actors that you would later see in other films. Uh, Dennis Fimple shows up in it. He plays a character called Pahu, which is the best character name ever. He later played the grand grandpa in house of a thousand corpses um but this is a movie that i think has some really good creature action because it's not tied into that sort of like trying to look seem like a documentary style it's able to just kind of go crazy in the finale you've got a bigfoot pushing a van down a hill and shit like that um and it was also shot by dean cundy a couple years before he shot halloween so it looks a lot better than uh, most of the 70s sasquatch movies um this is one where it is out on dvd just like some random budget label put it out but then a couple years ago i think it's got to be three years ago at this point synapse announced on halloween their big halloween announcement was we have creature from black lake and we're going to put it out on blu-ray um but of course we know how it kind of can go with synapse sometimes it takes a while but with this movie in particular they've said that you know we made that announcement not knowing that the print that was being provided to us by the rights owner was in bad shape. Apparently it was a really red print. Uh, you know, as those things go on in age, they can get really a pink hue throughout. And so they've kind of put this one sort of way on the back burner in their releases. And they've said they need to find a better print of it. And I really hope that happens. One thing that was really awesome in the history of, uh, hunting grounds was we got to play at the grand illusion cinema, which I mentioned earlier, where I saw a private property. We got to play in a double feature with a 35 millimeter print of creature from Black Lake. And granted, I'm not as discerning, especially when it's like a classic 35 millimeter print playing at a revival house. I'm fine with like scratches and the colors being weird and everything. But I thought the print looked pretty good. And I know I mentioned that to the Synapse guys. I think I saw them at Horror Hound um, at one point telling them I made a Bigfoot movie and I was excited about this release. And they're like, oh, the print we have is terrible. We don't know when it's going to come out. And so I said, oh, talk to the Grand Illusion because they they found some private collector who had a print that I thought looked good. You know, maybe it's it's not up to their standards because obviously they're the, the best in the business when it comes to video quality. Um, but I would really love for that Synapse Blu-ray of Creature from Black Lake to uh, finally come out. That's definitely one of my most anticipated. Brad, have you seen uh, Creature from Black Lake? I know you had mentioned that, you know, you and I have probably seen most of these uh, yeah. Sasquatch movies. What did you think of that movie? Um, I've always really liked Creature of Black Lake. And like you, I was pretty upset that that got delayed because that was kind of a big announcement, I thought. Um, so I was, uh, I was a little unhappy about that because I haven't really seen a great print of that film, just, you know, kind of a ratty VHS and the film is kind of dark and uh, maybe just the VHS is dark and it looks like it's a lot of thing. It's just it, like, you just can't see a lot. It seems in the VHS release, um, that, uh, that exists, but yeah, I, I've always liked that. I think that is one of the better Bigfoot movies and I'm kind of upset that I didn't put that on my list. Um, mainly because I just think I kind of forgot about it. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of that one too. And, uh, that one has some really amazing, 
artwork by Ralph McQuarrie, the uh, the original poster for Creature from Black Lake, was definitely something we took inspiration from with our original Valley of the Sasquatch poster that Paul Shipper designed. We were like, hey, look at some of these for inspiration. And another classic Bigfoot poster also drawn by Ralph McQuarrie belongs to the next film on my list, The Legend of Boggy Creek from 1974. Amazing poster art for this movie. And it's also the movie that kicked off the whole Bigfoot craze of the 70s in film. And... Uh, it's maybe one of the first docudramas that exists. I'm not totally sure on that, but it's so it's a uh, a fictional movie, but it's told in the style of a documentary and it's based on some real stories, but it's people are doing reenactments and retelling stories, things like that. Um, sometimes they're playing other people. Um, so it's not a traditional documentary like the movie you mentioned, Brad, In Search of Bigfoot. Um, and it definitely was a precursor to found footage movies and it was directly responsible for the inspiration for Blair Witch Project. Those guys uh, have said, like, we didn't realize you could tell movies in that style until we saw Legend of Boggy Creek and it always stuck with us like, oh, let's try to make movies in that style. And I think you've seen with Eduardo Sanchez, one of the co-directors from then on, he went on to direct Exists. Um, most of his movies are found footage. So big impact that this movie had, you know, kind of still to this day because found footage is such a big thing. And I think it's one of the better Bigfoot movies of the 70s. What's really interesting about it is you see a lot of people mentioning it as one of the first horror movies they saw. I know one of my favorite authors, uh, John Kenneth Muir, who wrote the books, uh, horror films of the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, these great reference books. Um, in his introduction for horror films in the 1970s, he says, you know, I want to thank these people for bringing me to see Legend of Boggy Creek at the drive-in because it's what inspired my love for horror. And this is a, a G-rated movie with, although it has some creepy stuff and there's some scary reenactment scenes, um, there's also a lot of nature footage. There's also a lot of kind of Disney-esque songs where you get these like folk songs from the creature's point of view or about like the kind of um, wild man of the swamp who lives like the mountain man, I guess is a better expression of the swamp uh, who has seen the creature get kind of their own little musical numbers. That's a bad way of describing it, but just these folk songs kind of take over the soundtrack as you're seeing this nature footage or this guy going out to his hut in the woods. And so kind of this movie exists as a good sort of reference point. I think for kids in horror, it could be seen as like, you know, baby's first horror movie <laughs> if you kind of want to get them on that uh, that path and they're fine with the slower pacing of 70s movies um, I think the fact that it's presented as you know a documentary um, even though it's fictionalized really gets under your skin especially when you're younger and that's the the fascinating thing about Bigfoot when I was a kid was like oh is it out there is this real and hearing these real stories so uh, love Legend of Boggy Creek I think it's got a great creature design and what they did the whole thing with the face I was talking about earlier, uh, they covered up their face by stapling a wig to it. So the creature is just total fur. And because it's a wig on it, stapled <laughs> to the face, when it leans over, if it's like looking down at someone, the hair hangs down. Um, and it just looks really cool and menacing. And so that's actually was a big inspiration with the hair design of our Sasquatch and hunting grounds, which is a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> but we actually, I talked about it with our makeup artist a lot. Like, okay, we need to sort of have our Bigfoot hair. It needs to be in between Legend of Boggy Creek and like Rob Zombie Dreads because you don't want to go too far into heavy metal Bigfoot but you want to have it hang down like Legend of Boggy Creek <laughs> Um, but this is a movie that is sort of on, in that gray area where I don't think it's actually public domain, but so many little companies just keep releasing it that, uh, you know, it's one of those movies like Night of Living Dead that these companies like Scream Factory has mentioned, you know, they're kind of shying away from it. They've put out other movies by the same director. Uh, he later did Town the Dreaded Sundown, which is in that same kind of docudrama style. Um, 
but they have not released Legend of Boggy Creek, and I think it's a movie in need of a remaster, because uh, like Brad said, with Creature from Black Lake, a lot of these old Bigfoot movies are really dark. Um, Legend of Boggy Creek, a lot of it, it's in the uh, the daytime in the swamps in Arkansas, and so it's a little bit better, but it's just the quality has never really been there in any of these releases. All right, Brad, so what do you think of uh, Legend of Boggy Creek? With Legend of Boggy Creek, I hosted movie nights for a, a, a long period of time over over probably seven or eight years. Um, you know, Wednesdays and everything, and we, we we've done that for even still to this day. Um, but for a short time, uh, for a couple years, and um, kind of uh, bi monthly, we did a drunken movie night on like a Friday. And, um, my friends would, would come over and they, they would pick something out of the V you know, the VHS wall that I had. Um, now it's slowly depleted, depleted. Well, it's still a wall, but, um, this was before like companies were putting out, you know, microwave massacre and these goofy movies on Blu-ray. Um, so I had all these on tape, so they would pick something. And one night, some of my buddy James picked up Legend of Boggy Creek and put it on. And I, I just remember all of us, uh, watching it. And just, uh, and laughing when, when the music came on, we started making up songs and singing, um, uh, to, to the songs that were playing in the movie. But whenever the, the horror stuff would happen, the music would stop and the creature would, would come into play. Everybody got super quiet. Like, you know, we were watching it intently, uh, and then the music would kick back on and everybody would start singing and laughing again. Um, but I, I think with Charles B. Pierce, he has like, when he does his horror, like even like, you know, town, the dreaded sundown, when he does his scary shit, it, it can be a little menacing. I, I think he's a fabulous director in that aspect, but this documentary style thing works and it's unique, but also I really wanted him to do something hard hitting, like in the seventies, making like some kind of hard, hardcore exploitation flick. Um, but I've always liked a Boggy Creek and even, you know, the return of Boggy Creek and then Boggy Creek movie that came out. I think there's like four, uh, that relate to the kind of the Boggy Creek series, but, um, yeah, it's a weird series. There's a uh, Boggy Creek two, which Charles Pierce directed in the eighties. That is the third in the series. So it's a bizarre series, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've always enjoyed, enjoyed the films, um, in, in that, in that sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that. You know, this movie, even though it's basically haven't seen the light of day for a while, is still kind of on people's lists and people people talk about. So, Yeah, and if you want to know kind of the backstory, not just of the movie, but of the true encounters that kind of inspired it, uh, there's an awesome book called The Beast of Boggy Creek by Lyle Blackburn, who he's a cryptozoologist and he writes about kind of cryptid kind of stuff for Room Org uh, magazine and online. And so he just did all sorts of research. So you really get to learn a lot about the movie um, and the real true stories. So that's great. But I think the movie that even though it's a ripoff of Legend of Boggy Creek, I think it improves upon it in every aspect, even with its folk song. And as my favorite Bigfoot movie of the 70s is the last one I'm going to talk about here. And that is Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot from 1976. This is another kind of docudrama style movie, but it focuses on a group of explorers, scientists that are trekking into a Valley of the Sasquatch um, in Oregon. And they... As they're on their quest, they see random bits of nature footage, which a lot of these 70s Bigfoot movies have in common. So they'll see, like, a, a, there's a crazy cougar attack. A cougar jumps off a 
kind of rock face and attacks horses and things. And I see like the actors are in the shot. So like, I don't really know how they <laughs> recorded that. Cause then there's other times where they see like a couple of bears fighting each other. That is obviously just other footage that they weren't there for. Um, and as they're on this trek, they, uh, recount some classic Bigfoot encounters, some of the same ones that inspired the script in my movie. So you see things like a reenactment of the 1924 Mount St. Helens cabin attack. You see a reenactment of the original Bauman story, which is one of the only times it's been written about Sasquatch killing a person, um, which sort of inspired the style of the opening scene of my movie. Um, and it was actually a, a famous Bigfoot story that was written about by Teddy Roosevelt back in his book book, The Wilderness Hunter. So it's kind of one of the more legit Bigfoot stories. So it's so interesting that it involves a Bigfoot killing someone. Um, but so you get these flashbacks as this kind of trek into the wilderness is happening in this documentary style. But then when they finally get to the area that they're looking for, that their, you know, 1970s computers have surmised, this is the area where Bigfoot congregate. Um, there's an awesome, just like Bigfoot attack sequence that happens. And this is a movie that is actually uh, more readily available than others, which is surprising because it was so rare for so long. It was one that only existed on VHS, and then it came out in a DVD three-pack uh, about a decade ago that Retro Media put out, which I'm always kind of confused on Retro Media. They're sort of not legit sometimes with their releases, but then other times they are, so I'm not quite... Uh, sure what to think of their things, but they finally put this movie out on disc. Um, but then just last year, Code Red put it out on Blu-ray. It's in a double feature with... Uh, Encounter with the Unknown, which I have not gotten a chance to see yet. That's a Rod Serling hosted uh, documentary. Um, but this is one of those things where just randomly it appeared on Diabolique. Like I was at work and I saw someone post on some forum, Sasquatch and Encounter with the Unknown double feature is now on Diabolique from Code Red. And I just had to buy it right then because I had no idea, you know, what that meant, how long it would exist. And I think now you can find it on Ronin Flicks. It might even be on the Big Cartel site. Um, but it can just be so iffy with those Code Red releases. But the print uh, is, it's in rough shape for both movies on that disc. On the back, on the bottom, there's a little disclaimer that says they're presented in the original Grindhouse experience. Um, that's just like, <laughs> Like them, them covering up the fact that, you know, you're not going to get a pristine print, but that's fine for these kind of movies. I don't need a pristine print, um, but it does look better than it ever has. And it's in widescreen and everything. And one awesome thing that they found is there is what's called a Bigfoot intro. And it's an original six minute featurette that played with the movie in theaters and had not been seen since then. And within this six minutes, it kind of gets the audience informed about the history of Sasquatch and the phenomena. Um, it has a phone number that you can call or it's like an address if you want to get more information, like be on a mailing list, which is awesome. I really want to write to this address. Um, but it also includes some more reenactments. Like you see a little Native American boy being menaced by a Sasquatch in the woods and there was like a still image got released that people had been talking about for years. Like, what is this still image? Like, there's no thing like this in the movie. Is it a deleted reenactment? Um, so the, I d highly recommend that finding that Code Red Blu-ray. Um, and like I said, as far as 70s Bigfoot movies, you'd be hard pressed to beat uh, Sasquatch the Legend of Bigfoot. It even includes the cheesy folk song uh, told from the Sasquatch's point of view, but it's over the end credits, so it does not interrupt the flow of the film. Um, was this one that you've seen, Brad, or is this not on your radar? I have not seen. Uh, I do have, uh, I just did a batch of Code Red uh, order um, because Bill is letting me buy from the store again. So, uh, that is a plus. Um, but this said out of, this said sold out at the time because it's really cheap too. It's only like 16 bucks. 
you know? Yeah. So uh, I I was going to get it, um, but uh, it was unavailable at the time. I, I will place another order because I wanted to make sure I actually got my order um, that I did. And I actually just received <laughs> that on Friday. So um, I will be placing another order soon. So Very cool. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, especially – how you felt about the uh, the tone jarring tone shifts in Legend of Boggy Creek? I think Sasquatch kind of smooths those out and is the uh, better experience for it. But uh, that is my top five Bigfoot movies. Awesome! All right, gentlemen, it's time for us to wrap up the show. John, thanks for hanging out and talking Bigfoot and your films. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I remember a couple years ago when we did the device, you were like, I just want to talk about Bigfoot. <laughs> and I thought the movie would be coming out, you know, oh, don't worry, you just have to wait six months and then it'll be out. <laughs> took a little longer, but, uh, but that's okay. Cause, uh, it finally. Exactly. It's yep. finally out there and we're yep. getting a Blu-ray at the same time we get a DVD. It's the first time that's happened. And I think uh, people will probably – Dig the movie, uh, dig the special features. We put some uh, some good stuff in there, and uh, hopefully it's uh, up your alley if you're a Squatchophile. Very nice. All right, well, make sure you check out our sponsors, uh, GrindhouseVideo.com, of course. Uh, check with them first on every release you want to buy. Um, Coffee Shop of Horrors, if you use the code SCREAMCAST, you get 10% off of your order. I'm, uh, I need to place another order myself. And I, you know what? I have some. I need to, we need to do some sort of giveaway because I have some to give away, uh, here. So that should happen, uh, in the next couple weeks. Also want to thank Wolfman of Mars for providing the music for the show and Kevin Spencer for providing our, uh, our visual style online with our logo. And of course, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, we'll be doing another Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome show probably within the next few weeks. We got some stuff lined up from them. And, uh, so keep checking back with us on that. And of course, you can find all of our other social media links over at thescreamcast.com as well as, uh, articles and, uh, news from Josh Obershaw and a cast of others. And of course, please check out our Patreon and we have another late night episode coming up very soon for all of our $5 and up patrons. We're almost at a hundred bucks a month. If that happens, I'll be unlocking the late night, uh, episodes for our $3 and up patrons so they can hear them. Um, the $5 patrons are always going to be the ones running the, uh, the dialogue running the, you know, providing the stuff we talk about. So, um, that's all I got. Brad, do you have anything else? No, I do not. Awesome. John Portnova, <laughs> thanks again for joining us. Everyone, please check out his films. Uh, do a quick IMDb search and support his stuff. John, uh, you know, I didn't ask, uh, do you have anything in the works right now? What's going on with the, the future of John Portnova as a filmmaker? <laughs> <laughs> well, for uh, for John Portnova and uh, the October people, the next thing we have going on is we produced a movie called Ayla. It's a supernatural drama that we shot uh, last year. It'll be coming out in festivals later this year is the plan. And that uh, stars Tristan Risk and Dee Wallace. It also oh. uh, reunites with some people from Hunting Grounds. It's got D'Angelo Medilli and Bill Burst Jr. Uh, making appearances as well. And that's something we're really excited about. It's the first time that we're putting out a film that neither myself nor Jeremy Berg are either writing or directing. Um, so it was my first time to just sort 
sort of be like, all right, all I'm doing is producing, not running the set, not worrying about the script. So that was kind of an interesting experience. We teamed up with the uh, filmmaker who made the movie Gut a couple years ago. This is his follow up. And so we're uh, we're really excited about it. Cool. Very cool. Looking forward to checking that out. All right. We will talk to all of you guys next week. Cool. Thanks for listening. See ya. Big Daddy's leaving. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.